Well, let's kick it off. So here we are again. This is the end of our seventh year, Dan. Um, I think we've done four or five of these now. We both yep. had um, a lot of changes this last year, some adjustments to our life. Uh -huh. um, I'm curious. I wanted to hear from you. Like, So you lost your dad. When was that? August? It was the end of July. So twenty fifth. Yeah, 25th of July. It was, in fact, you and Andy did the quarterly recap that night. That's right. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, 25th of July in the morning. So it would be early morning in your time. About yeah. four o'clock, almost five o'clock in the morning in your time. Wow. So tell me, uh, t I mean, recount it for us. Tell us what you want to tell us about it. So basically, he went to go play at somebody's funeral. In fact, the guy that lives, one of our neighbors that lives down the street, just a few doors down, actually built the house we live in. And uh, he was a school friend of my dad's. And uh, his partner passed away from COVID, oh, just a couple of, couple of days before your dad did. So he went to go play the bagpipes at her funeral and couldn't blow the bag up. And so he knew there was, you know, he, he wasn't well. So he went, talked to the doctor. They thought it was COVID, maybe made him go take a test. Did the test, came back negative, still wasn't right. So they put him on antibiotics for a chest infection, still wasn't right. And the night before he went, finally got in to see the doctor in the office, in the, in the surgery, he really struggled to get up the stairs. We had to help, basically help him up the stairs. And so the next the next morning he called in and had got an appointment and uh, went to the appointment and they referred him to the to the hospital pretty much immediately. So that's when that's when we a few days well he was he was in a few days and that's when they did it like a big X-ray and they saw his his chest was his lung was basically full. Yeah. Yeah. When was the last time you saw your dad at seemingly a hundred percent or at least acting like a normal, like he normally does? Cause I couldn't, I haven't gotten, I know he, they realized he had cancer early in the year, uh -huh. but did it impact his life immediately or was it still a few months of living with it and carrying on as normal? So it was already impacting him when we found out that he had it. He practically had to have help getting up the stairs all the time you know, for about two, you know, about two, three weeks before we found he had it, he needed to take things slow and probably looking back, probably about August, maybe he was feeling by, by the end of the summer last year and yeah. 20 end of the summer 20. Yeah. He was feeling tired quite a bit. So probably beginning of 20 is when he was, when he was wow. normal, but we didn't, we didn't realize it. Sure. So. No. Um, how have you been adjusting? I mean, I know I can speak for myself. I know the adjustments that I've been going through. I, <clears throat> so again, my dad died on the 30th of December last year. So the day before new year's Eve. And he had caught COVID about two and a half weeks earlier. And uh, so it was very quick. And um, I uh, I go through 
lot of different stages of how I feel because he and I, I, my dad was great. He was a great guy. The last few years we've had a little bit of a more complicated relationship and the older, maybe you can relate to this. Um, maybe if you can relate to it, you don't want to admit that you can, or others can. Sometimes I think when our parents start to get old, they sort of almost become more the child in the relationship and we become kind of the adults. And that, uh, that kind of transition from him being the dad, to him, me being more of the authority figure has always felt a little uncomfortable to me. And he, he has a tendency to bring a lot of drama or did into our life. And so on one hand, it's kind of comforting to not have any of that drama there, but I just, I do miss him. And it really hit me hard this last, when we were there for Christmas, my mom has always been this, my mom is the greatest lady in the world, but she has always been very comfortable kind of taking a back seat. She doesn't, uh -huh. she's not overwhelming with her personality or her or anything. She is the sweet lady who stays to herself and her having to take on the role as being the head of the family now is just, it's odd to watch it. You can tell that it's uncomfortable for her and she's doing the best she can as just being the matriarch of the family. What about uh -huh. you? What kind of adjustments have you been going through? Well, I'm still, so I'm not obviously not caring for dad anymore, but I'm still having to do a lot of the stuff that he was doing for my mother. So, right. so I'm primary care for her and we're hoping we'll get some help with that as well. That's the crazy thing for anyone who doesn't know is that your mom's had poor help for a while yeah. and we, and your dad has been, he's a bolt of lightning. He's this super high energy guy. And to yeah. have him be the one that's gone and her still around. Yeah. Is, we always, no one would have guessed that. Yeah. We always told her you'll go before dad. And, yeah. And he said, well, you don't know. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, well, look at, okay. Yeah. You, were, you were right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you never know, but yeah, it's know, crazy. So, some of that I've, ta I've taken on. And uh, in fact, I was doing both at the same time, obviously, when, when he was he was ill. And he was getting tired just watching me. I bet. Well, and you living with them and you being the one who takes care of them. And uh -huh. uh, that has to be a heavy burden on you. And, but and I'm sure they're so grateful. Yeah. And then adding a new job halfway. Yes. Through. Yes. Uh, yes. on top of the on top of those things yeah is work still going well though you seem to like your yeah. job oh i love it yeah good love it yeah good good me too i, I even uh, watch some tv now too you do yeah. <laughs> well if you work for sky i would imagine you should if you didn't already yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. I'm, i generally I mean, you, you get certain channels you would get anyway with the, like the free, you know, the over the air type stuff, but I mm -hmm. tend to watch what, what, what I tend to watch is most of the stuff that I would have had to pay for before. Mm -hmm. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. It helps to work for sky for anyone who doesn't know is working for sky is like working for Comcast in America. In fact, it's the big, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're owned by Comcast. Okay. So yeah, yeah. same kind of an idea. So, um, yeah, that's great. You know, you, <laughs> I'm a little nervous. It's I, I mentioned, uh, I, I, a little over a week ago, I found out that I had COVID 
And so far it's, I, I've noticed the symptoms 16 days ago. Uh-huh. So they say, I believe the CDC say, says that you're, you're, um, contagious for like the first five days or something like that. And you should probably quarantine for 10, which I did. And, um, I mostly feel fine. I mean, what it was all along has felt like mostly a bad cold or a flu. I'm still pretty congested. You can probably tell, but the hardest part is that my energy level, uh, just gone. Yeah. It stays pretty low. Yeah. Yeah. And I still work all day and I still, I've tried to go back to the gym two or three times in the last week. And, uh, Oh, it's just leveled me. And it like this morning, getting up and going to church. I mean, you wouldn't think that'd be a big deal. I just want to die. I'm so exhausted. And it's not necessarily even that I need to go to sleep. It's just that I feel really draggy. That's the word that keeps coming to mind. Uh And so I just, Oh, I just need to lay down. I need to relax. I'm so, so that's it. My energy level is just fluctuating like crazy. You know, well, you, you probably did better off than you would have, would have been had you not been vaccinated. Oh, I'm sure of it. We're sure of it. I mean, we're really lucky. All Farrah and I are both double vaxxed and the kids have all been vaxxed. And um, it's we were with my family in southern Utah at Christmas. And uh-huh. uh, Annie, my sister and her family had all been sick. And a couple of them were still sick when they were there. But we, they all tested negative and they had all uh-huh. had COVID before early on, but still had it. And so I started getting sick on the drive back, but I assumed I had the same symptoms they had, which was like a cold or a flu and they all tested negative. So we just assumed I was, I had the same thing and would just be out of commission for a little bit, but we went and got Ferris started getting sick. We did rapid tests. They came back positive Uh later that day. I took the kids to a testing center and Two of them had it and one didn't. And one of the Eddie was sick for like a day and he was fine after that. Georgia has been asymptomatic all along and Graham never had it. So it's just, it, you just don't know how this thing is going to work and how, what it's going to do and how severe and who it's going to hit hard and who it's going to ignore. But yeah, I have no doubt that getting vaxxed was the right move. Of course, you know, and to oh keep my- doing it, I'll happily keep doing it. Yeah, my cousin, a couple of my cousins have had it twice. Yeah. And they, the second time around, the first time around, before they got vaccinated, they were they were pretty sick. And the second time around, uh, they wouldn't have known. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one, one of them said he wouldn't have known had he not tested. Yeah. Just because he'd, he was double, double uh, jabbed. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, he probably had a booster as well. Probably, yeah. Are they are they offering boosters there for you? Yeah, we um, we probably need to do one. I'm I'm not sure exactly what the difference between a booster and getting vaxxed again is. We got vaxxed pretty much as soon as we could, which was in March, February, March, something like that. And then before we went to Poland in September, we got vaxxed again. But we didn't, because I think you have to wait eight months to, to get your booster. And it was, wasn't eight months. It was like seven, six. Uh-huh. And so we just didn't, we just went and got vaxxed again and didn't tell anybody that we had already been vaxxed. And they didn't uh-huh. ask for our insurance or anything like that. We just went to a, I think it was Walgreens or whatever and got jabbed again. And so we've been vaxxed twice. 
but I don't know what the difference is between a second vax and a booster. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Uh, here's a good one for you. My mother, because she's high risk, uh-huh. had to get three of the, of the, so she's had three of the, the AstraZeneca. So three primary doses, and then she got a Pfizer for a booster. Wow. So she's had, she's had four already. Wow. Yeah. Well, she's super comprom- uh, immunocompromised or vulnerable, right? I mean, she's older. Yeah. She's in poor health already. I mean, if she catches it, that could be bad. Well, she's on immunosuppressants. So. Okay. Wow. Well, the COVID fun. That's uh, the world we live in these days, I guess. Okay. Well, let's talk. We Let's first recap the last three months. We always like to do that. Kind of give any behind the scenes stories, if there were any. A lot of these are mostly just what it took to make them happen and kind of our impressions after the fact. If we go back three months, the oldest episode would have been Chris France from the uh, Talking Heads. Uh, quick story about that. I First of all, I've heard from a few of you that it was that bought his book, Remain in Love, which I'm, nothing makes me happier than when our listeners actually buy with their own money the things that our guests are selling. It means a lot to me. In fact, I <laughs> I just a couple of weeks ago, well, right before the holidays, I spent a hundred bucks. I bought three Ian McNabb CDs and two Phil Thornalley CDs, Astral Drive. And they all obviously needed to ship from the UK. In total, it came to a hundred bucks, so oh, okay. twenty bucks a CD. But just knowing that I was supporting them and their artistic efforts, and uh, you know that money goes directly to them. It doesn't go to some. I made sure to buy in the most direct way possible, so there wasn't some intermediary label or whatever that, or Amazon that was going to take the majority of the money. I wanted them to have as much of it as they could, and uh, I. I you know, you can't. It, it takes money to do that for everybody, but I wanted to make sure I supported those guys, and it makes me feel good. So anyway, uh, Chris France, I had contacted years ago, probably three years ago, and um, to come on the show. And this was before we even had Jerry Harrison on the show. I always like to have one person at least, you know, representing a big band. I don't need to have several. Sometimes we do. But uh, in Chris's sake, I th- case, I thought he would be perfect, and he replied on Facebook and said. I'll talk to you when I'm when I finish my book. I'm thinking that sounds like an excuse. Okay, when are you finishing your book? He said it'll be two years. I'm like, all right. Well, I don't expect you to remember that we had this conversation in two in two years, and we'll see if when the book comes out, you even remember me or are willing to talk to me about this. Well, thankfully, sure enough, it did. Now he didn't remember me. But the book came out, and he did a lot of present uh, uh, press for it. A lot of other podcasts, did a lot of other interviews, and um, I was one of them, thankfully. And now I purposely waited. This is a little tip for people doing podcasts out there. I don't expect him. I mean, he went on like Sound Opinions and other gigantic podcasts to talk about the book. I don't expect him to factor me into the big, you know, the big press release time. But maybe when the when the smoke dies down a few months later, maybe I could be one of those guys. I wish our numbers were good enough to be in the first group, but I'll take the second group. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I just waited my turn and eventually we got to it and we had a fantastic conversation. 
I thought it was really good. Are you are you a Talking Heads fan? Yeah. Yeah, some of the stuff I like. Yeah, and that was that was I thought that was really cool that he he came through and and followed up with what he said he would do. So me too. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I read the book um, on the plane when we went to Hawaii in May, and then um, I think I read it again when he finally when we finally were able to schedule the interview. It was just a lot of fun. Something that is kind of amazing to me. I've mentioned it on here before that I have this kind of fascination with Compass Point and the uh, the studio down there and what it must have been like to work there. And they're the only people back then when it was a functioning studio, artists like Robert Palmer lived across the street. They were there. They lived there full time all the time. I mean, imagine living in the Bahamas full time with a studio right there down the street that you could record the, and it would be heard by everybody in the world. I just think that's so fascinating. And everyone has left because the studio doesn't exist except for Chris and Tina. They still maintain their condo over there. And I just yeah. think that's, uh, that's really in- interesting. I love it. Yeah, um, I, I, could, I couldn't imagine being living there. That'd be rough life. <laughs> yeah. Chris was, Chris was great. Very generous. The book is fantastic. And I should say for anyone who's wondering the book, uh, I felt was dealt with the problems with David Byrne, who is also a beloved figure, obviously, uh, very sensitively, very diplomatically. They didn't talk, you know, they didn't drag his name through the mud and talk a lot of shit or anything like that. He was very fair with everything he said. And so I kind of didn't feel like I wanted to make him play, be the bad guy in our conversation. So, cause he didn't do, he didn't do that himself in his book. Uh, next up was Bermuda Schwartz from, uh, uh, Weird Al. Oh, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I, unlike a lot of people, I grew up thinking Weird Al was fun, but not enough to like buy every album. And um, you know, I like the songs I heard on the radio. They were super fun. I've always had a ton of respect for Weird Al, and I've heard Weird Al on a lot of other podcasts too. He's always very generous with his time. Um, but our my friend Jeremy Cornreich is in some drumming group with Bermuda and he recommended Bermuda to the, come on the show. And he asked me, would you be interested? And I had heard Bermuda on another podcast and I knew that he was this keeper of the history and such an interesting guy. What must it be like to be the guy who's been at Weird Al's side all this time? You're not writing the jokes. You're not writing the songs, but you have to interpret his vision and his vision is such a unique one. And uh, I thought it was what really struck me talking with Bermuda was that he reminded me of like a STEM person, you know, this person with a super scientific, analytical, technical mind who happens to be the drummer in a comedy group, basically. And that dichotomy was so interesting to me. But there it was. Anyway, super good guy. Oh, it, was, it was good fun. Uh, like you, I'm not a huge Weird Al collector, but I have some, yeah, three albums plus three or four albums plus various songs from other other albums. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're a piece of history. It's what a unique. And I, like I've said, I, everyone I know who have seen them live say they're fantastic. I've never gone. I do think if they're coming through here, assuming COVID doesn't ruin it. I got a story about that here in a here in a minute. By the way, um, they're coming through here in a couple of months, and I was thinking of messaging him and seeing if I could say hello or 
maybe he'll even put me on the list or something like that. So I could see for myself that they're really that good. Next up was the Mike Evans who book. What is it? Much too much. I suddenly forgot the name of it, but anyway, that book. Uh, so this publisher puts out these books that are almost like, almost like coffee table books. They're big. There's lots of pictures in them, but the text is a sort of um, summary. I would say of an artist's career. It's not, you know, hyper, hyper in depth, like something else might've been, but John Azelwood's Joy Division and New Order book, and then Mike's Who book are both sort of a summary of these bands' histories. And they're both really well written, especially, I especially like John's, probably because I like New Order so much too. But um, I hope if you get a chance, check out these books because they're worth it. The Whatever this, um, this um, publisher is doing, this new style, I think is really effective of telling the story the high level story with so many pictures and reviews of songs and albums, I think gives you a really nice broad overview of an artist. Yeah. The book was called much too much, much too much. What was I? Yeah. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Much too yeah. much. Yeah. That's it. Thank you. Um, and I will say we have some more uh, book clubs coming up. In fact, I didn't intend it to be this way, but I've sort of fallen off doing uh, deep dives. I don't know why, really. I um, it just I got to the point where it felt like if I was going to do all the work for a deep dive, I'd rather just make it a regular Tuesday interview. And um, so I kind of slowed way down on those. And in the meantime, people like Mike and Joel Miller and those kinds of guys have sent me that been sending me their books, and I want to kind of like the same thing with Ian and Phil and buying their stuff. I want to support these people and their vision. So we're kind of, we'll be having a few more book clubs coming up. I can think of three at least in the next four, maybe in the next few months. Uh, next up is Amy Ray. And we have to give a huge thanks to our buddy, Brian Morris for this one. He, he's the one who made it happen. I'll tell you a story, and I hesitate to even tell this story because it sounds like I'm angry at Brian Morris, and I don't want it to sound that way because I'm not. When uh, Patty, no, Nancy Griffith, I always get Nancy Griffith and Patty Griffin mixed up. When Nancy Griffith died, Brian, who is one of our devout listeners, we're so grateful for Brian, took it upon himself to reach out to people about coming on the show and doing a tribute to Nancy. Um, it blessed his heart. It threw me for a loop because number one, I know a little bit about Nancy, but I'm not an expert on Nancy. And some of the people he was reaching out to are artists kind of like Nancy that I've heard of, or I know a couple of songs, but I don't know that much about. And so I've suddenly, he lied, he lined these things up himself. Hey, I went ahead and reached out to, and I'm not going to tell you who they are because I'm actually working on bigger, regular interviews with some of these people. I reached out to so-and-so and they've agreed to come on the podcast and do a tribute to Nancy Griffin. And I'm like, Brian, thank you, but I don't know that artist. I don't know Nancy Griffith. I don't know that I could have a decent conversation with any of these people. I, I, plus, we always bring on a former guest for the tribute. I, I, I don't know, but it was so cool of him to... <laughs> to take it upon himself to do that you know oh, I thought that was awesome I know thank you, well thank you Brian by the way exactly 
but you're not the one who has to sound like you're the guy that knows everything, you know, when we do That's these true. interviews. Right. So <laughs> I'm suddenly panicked. Like, I don't, oh man, I've got, that means I've got a lot of homework to do. Well, luckily, one of the people who agreed to come on was Amy Ray. And of course, I love the Indigo Girls and have, I've reached out to them a couple of times, never heard back. And I thought, well, I would love to talk to Amy. Would she be willing to do just a regular interview with me? And we talk for an hour, but five or 10 minutes of that is devoted to Nancy. That would be great. That's that fits. That works for me. And luckily, she agreed to that. And so we ended up having the fantastic conversation that we had. And I didn't intend for it to rely so heavily on politics, um, but that's just where it went. And when you're talking to the Indigo Girls and you're talking about their history and the things they've had to overcome and the things they fight for and the things they're about, that's what you're going to talk about. And I just have the utmost respect for those girls. And I just think, I don't know, they were such trendsetters. They were the first of their kind to be out and proud without any questions and to be successful doing it. Because I think prior to that, you might've had gay or lesbian artists in niche categories that only appealed to other gay and lesbian crowds. And that wasn't the case for them. And so I think they are revolutionary members of the music community. I'm so grateful for them. And the fact that she talked to me was huge, just huge. what do you think? Well- I think that that then spurs maybe a bit of a, you know, if they're kind of trailblazers, maybe maybe a rock hall discussion at some point. Totally agree. I'm gl- so glad you said that, Yan, because I agree with you. I just think for social impact alone, you put the Indigo Girls in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because they started a movement. They were the first of their kind. The first of their mm-hmm. kind to be popular being who they were. I don't, I can't, I don't know anyone else that did it. One other thing I wanted to mention about that interview that was interesting to me. I I mean, I went in, you know, I like to ask people, Oh, what was it like writing this song or tell me the story behind that song or this song? I've always known, obviously, when you listen to the Indigo girls, I know that Amy seems sings some songs and Emily sings other songs and they harmonize so beautifully on everything that they do that I just assume that they both had a hand in the writing, even though someone's name appears as the writer, I assume that they are both pretty joint exercises, but it became, I don't remember what it was that I mentioned early in the interview. And Amy said, well, that was an Emily song. And I, it, it rung a bit. I thought, Oh no, if that's the case, then I just assumed I could ask her about any Indigo Girls song and she would have a story. But if it's a song Emily wrote, she may not. And suddenly I'm going through my mind thinking of all the songs that I wanted to ask her about, Galileo, Least Complicated, and all that stuff. And uh, they're all Emily's songs. And I panicked because I hadn't prepared any that I knew Amy wrote because I didn't realize I needed to. And uh, so I just didn't ask about as many songs that was so if anyone wants to know what goes on in my mind behind the scenes when they're happening that's something that was going i was panicked about that during that interview are you an indigo girls fan so i've listened to some of their stuff i hadn't listened to a lot yeah who are my scene is the almost the not the psychedelics uh indie but along those lines yeah well they have i mean they've been, uh, there's more 
they've put out more albums than you probably realize. When I say you, I mean a general yeah. you, not just you. There's tons of them. And I don't, unless, you, I mean, I, I consider myself an Indigo Girls fan, but not so much where I have every single album and I listen to them on a, on a loop. I have a lot of them. So um, anyway, there's a lot more there that I think people even realize. Uh, after that was Midjur, of course. We love Mitch, fellow Scotsman. Awesome. Yeah, he is awesome. Yeah, I think we have three, three Sc- fellow Scots on this year, and at least one more Brit who now lives in Scotland. So Peter Coyne, from the Godfathers. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, he yeah. lives in Scotland, but he's a Brit. So Midge, Justin Curry, and Richard Jobson, all uh-huh. Scots. Yep. Oh, great musicians. Absolutely. Doing my best to represent your people there, Gan. So, Midge, again, kind of like Weird Al, another person who's very generous with his time. I hear him on a lot of podcasts, and he's always so genuine and nice. And as I mentioned on here before, when I hear people on other podcasts, I lose interest in having them on mine because I feel like the story's already out there. And I think, well, I'll... I don't know that I have anything interesting to add to this conversation. It's probably already there. And uh, so I I lose some of my steam goes away. But he was making the rounds. In fact, I think it was Steve Cooper who may have talked to him. Steve Cooper. (laughs) I love Steve. It's interesting because we share a lot of the same people and a lot of the same guests. And a lot of the time he'll get somebody that I've been trying for years to get and never heard back from, but he'll get them or vice versa. But it feels like it's mostly him. And this was another one of those times. And so when he says, do you want to talk to, J- to Midger? I'm like, well, of course I do. He's been on my list all this time. I just always worry that his story is so well told. And um, so I really, I, when that happens, it's like, okay, well, it's on me. I got to think of something unique. I got to think of a different angle. And I hope that we did. I didn't want him to feel like he had to talk about Band-Aid and Live Aid over and over again. I tried to focus on some of his solo material so he didn't feel like he had to talk about Vienna and Ultravox all over again. Oh, why did you leave this band? And why did you do that? Why'd you? I figure he's answered those questions a billion times, so I tried to make it a little different. Um, one thing that was interesting in talking with Midge, we were on Zoom, both on camera, there's something about Midge that whenever I hear him talk, he almost sounds like he's smiling. He almost has, he seems like such a generous, decent person that even just his regular speaking voice sounds like he's smiling or like he's, I don't know, like he's got kind eyes or something. And so when I was actually interviewing him and looking him in the eye on Zoom, and you realize he looks like a regular person. He doesn't walk around every day of his life with a smile glued to his face like you imagine. It's a little off-putting. I just was like, wow, does he not like me? I hope he. I hope he's happy. I hope he's doing okay because I imagined him smiling this entire time. And instead, he looks like a regular person. And it took me a minute mm-hmm. to adjust to that because you, you hear one thing and you think it, he's going to be another. Turns out, I mean, he just is a kind, generous human being. It's just he doesn't walk around with a you know halo and a smile on twenty four seven. I was laughing when I saw that in yeah. the in the crib sheet. That was quite funny. <laughs> quite funny. 
Yeah. You just don't know. I mean, you, you know, you don't know when you're going to talk to these people, what it's really going to be like, luckily he was the best. Um, okay. After that was Alan Parsons and Mike Thorne. So let me talk about this one for a second. Mike Thorne, that interview happened, I think back in March, February or March. And, um, I didn't like it. It was, it was kind of awkward. It was pretty awkward. And you can attest to this, Jan, several times, which was actually helpful. It was, this is not necessarily a bad thing. If he would start talking and he would trip up, he would start all over again. And he would do that so that you knew where the cut points were, right? Mm -hmm. He would say, wait, let me start over or cut here, start here, or he would clear his throat and he would, he would always stop what he was doing to get a very clear, perfect take of whatever his answer was going to be. And on the one hand, I mean, I respect that, but on the other, it just made for sort of a disjointed, unemotional, we weren't really connecting like people do. It was more me asking questions and him giving answers. And I really try to get past that on these interviews. I want them to be friendly conversations. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I understand what you mean, but, you know, I think once I finished him up, he was, he was fine. Well, that's, and that's true for all of these. I mean, every time, every, every time I do an interview that I'm not sure about and I send it to you and I'm like, oh, I don't know, man, this one, I'm not sure it's kind of boring or he stutters a lot or stammers or whatever. And you always clean it up by the time they're fully produced with the music in them and the ums and us cut out or whatever they all sound great so i had had mike sitting around for months and i wasn't sure what to do with it because i I would put it out eventually but i wasn't sure when and it didn't seem right to hold off on chris france or amy ray or mid-year so i could squeeze this mike thorne interview that i was only so so about well then alan parsons happened so Alan Parsons, oh, and because of the way, because of the sort of stilted, disjointed nature of my conversation with Mike Thorne, it wasn't that long. It was about 50 minutes, maybe. Parsons finally agreed. Alan, I had been trying to track down for years. I'd been emailing back and forth with, with his wife, Lisa. She would say, maybe later, or maybe this, maybe that. And then finally she said, yeah, what the heck, let's do it. And then it was another six months before I could finally like get him to commit. And even then they said, you can have 30 minutes. I was like, man, 30 minutes. We've been waiting. I've been bugging you for two years. You can't give me an hour. And uh, they're like, well, we'll see. We'll see. Which basically says, if I like you, John, and this is going, and I'm okay with how this is going, I'll give you a little more time. And if I don't like you, and I'm not happy with this, I'm going to cut it off. And (laughs) so I'm filled with dread, you know? If I do the right, if I make a wrong move or I've upset Alan Parsons, then he's just going to turn it off and say, okay, we're done. While it, while this is happening, John Montagna, a former guest and our friend, he came on and did the Pat Denizio tribute uh, episode with the Smithereens. And for anyone who doesn't know, John's the guy who does the music to Mark Maron's WTF podcast. Uh, when I, he used to tour with Alan. And I pinged him and said, okay, I finally lined up Alan Parsons. What what do I need to know? He said, don't ask him about Pink Floyd or the Beatles. He gets asked about it all the time. It drives him crazy. Don't do it. And uh, so I'm thinking, okay, well, 
<laughs> I only have 30 minutes. If I ask about the Beatles or the Pink or Pink Floyd, which I know a lot of people are going to want to know about, he's probably going to cut me off right then and there. So hopefully I can just earn a little bit more time. Thankfully, we ended up going about 45 minutes. I uh, but it was I was on pins and needles the whole time because I just thought if I screw up or I ask him something he doesn't want to talk about, this is going to end and I'm just going to offend him. I mean that one. I mean that one was great. I mean he's the the writer of that one of the the most iconic sport themes ever. Serious, yeah. yeah. Everybody knows that. Everybody know. has to know that. Know. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad. I. I. Uh, it turned out well. He was. I. I worried that he was a little standoffish or a little. It, you felt a little bit like you were coming to kiss the hand of the king and like, hopefully, yes, dear king, please grant me 45 minutes of your time. And, but I felt like it went okay. And thankfully, we got a lot of, a, a few, it didn't make the top 10, spoiler alert, but um, a lot of people picked that one as one of their favorite episodes of the year. So that's good. I did not see that coming. But anyway, so anyway, by the time it came, I had to put the Parsons episode out in time for his live CD to come out. And I thought, well, I have this Mike Thorne interview and both of these things together aren't very long, as long as regular interviews. Let's just put them together and see what happens. And it did really well. It's one of our bigger episodes of the year, actually, surprisingly. So, okay. After that was Donnie Iris. Donnie's just a good old guy. That I don't know how else to describe it. We just smiled and laughed the whole time. It was... Uh, yeah. I and I wasn't expecting that. I didn't know what to expect. Um, I had I've tried getting him on here for years. I email his website periodically and never hear back. I should have it should have occurred to me to go to his musical partner Mark Absec years ago, like right after I had Mark on here, which was in the first year. But I didn't feel like I could. I didn't want Mark to ever feel like I only talked to him so that I could talk to Donnie. But after what six years go by. I thought, forget it. I'm just going to ask Mark if he'll put in a good word. And he did, and it was set up in days. No problem at all. And uh, Donnie was a super, super nice guy. I Let me, so anyone, more behind the scenes podcasting stuff. This is Tiki Tack. These days, almost every interview I ever do is done on Zoom. Everybody is on Zoom these days for work, for whatever. Zoom is a part of our life. Some people are tech-averse. Donnie is one. Tony K of Yes is the other. They don't want to get on Zoom. They don't know Zoom. They can't figure it out. They can't push the button or click on this or that. So you have to call them. And um, for whatever reason, so when, when that's the case, I usually use Skype. Because you can call out on Skype, or I can anyway. I can call out on Skype. And they answer the phone, and then I can record it on my end. For whatever reason, that wasn't working that day, and I don't remember why. I think it was because we had just gotten a brand new computer, and um, it hadn't been set up yet or whatever. Additionally, there's an app called Tape-A-Call, and I think it costs $10 a year. And I bought it years ago for this very reason. In case a, uh, a guest insisted on calling me directly, I needed to be able to record that. So they call my phone and then I turn on this app on my phone called Tape Call and it records our conversation. Which is why the sound quality on that one sounds a little different. It's not quite as crisp. It's not bad, but it's not quite as crisp. 
And there have been some technical issues with Tape of Call 2, just like everything else. So I haven't used Tape of Call in years, but I had to with Donnie. And I, maybe that's a boring story with people, but I just, I get asked a lot of like, what what do you use? What microphone do you use? What? How do you record these? What's going on behind the scenes? That's the thing. If you want to buy the Tape of Call app for $10 a year and use it periodically to interview people, it works fine. Is it any different on your end to produce a tape call file versus a Zoom file or a Skype file or anything like that? No, and I'll I'll get to that in the questions because there's a, a question around editing and production and and what we do. So yeah. I'll an- I'll answer that bit in there. Okay. Okay. Were you familiar with Donnie? Did you know who he? Oh yeah. He was? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Love his stuff and. I'm sure I was like everybody else, wondering where he'd where he'd gone to. Yeah. So to find out what you know, that he was doing well and could go play golf, basically. Basically, he yeah. just never would guess. The guy has carved such a niche for himself. He just plays. He's in his late seventies, for one thing. He plays golf every day, and he does about a dozen shows a year, and he does them somewhere between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. There's just a a gateway in there where he can do, you know, six to 12 shows a year and make his nut and he's good financially and he can go play some golf and live a comfortable life. That's what yeah. more could you ask for? You know, playing golf in Florida and set up near the lakes. Right. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But he loves it up there. He loves it. Up there. Yeah. Okay, next up was Susan Rogers. We can talk more about this one later because it's going to come up later a few times, but this was one of the best interviews I feel like we've ever had on here. The reason I feel that way is because, uh, number one, Prince is just an obviously provocative topic. I mean, people are fascinated by Prince. The music is impeccable, especially during her era, which was Purple Rain to Sign of the Times, which is peak Prince time. And um, and her encyclopedic knowledge of what was going on and her willingness to share these stories, I could not get it enough. I didn't want it to end. And it, since this is, that interview happened, a couple times a week, I'll think of a question about Prince and I'll think, oh man, I wish I had asked Susan. I And I don't want to abuse the privilege, but I might have to have Susan come back on again sometime and just let me keep picking her brain because that was one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had with anybody, let alone for the podcast. To me, anyway. Oh, she was she was totally interesting. Yeah. And you know, to to hear her talk about being where she where she'd get a call at like yes. Oh Dark Thirty. Yes. <laughs> oh Dark Thirty. <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> My favorite line from that in almost any episode we've ever had is when Prince is bugging her to go buy some new clothes. And uh-huh. she's like, well, I don't have any money. And he says, what am I, broke? And you could Im- <laughs> you just imagine Prince telling her, like, what am I, broke? Go buy some clothes. You know, I'll pay <laughs> for it. Stop it. What? Don't use that as an excuse. I just love that. Imagine Prince saying, what am I, broke? That's my favorite line ever. Um, and just imagine, just envision it, the way she paints the picture of what his house looked like, 
and that the room that they made the music in was small and it was down the basement and the piano was upstairs and they'd have to run the cord from the room to the piano and what the vault we all hear about what prince's vault is she created an actual it's an actual vault just like people with the big like you know steering wheel that you have on boats or whatever and uh and it's you literally open a safe and you put tapes in there of things they've worked uh-huh. on and then they close the safe and she categorizes all of that just in being able to actually envision things that you hear about was mind-boggling to me i couldn't believe it um okay after her was jude cole so jude is another one i've been trying to get on here all along i message his facebook page periodically i never hear back i don't think he has a working website his people came to me and i was so glad i immediately jumped on it because i've been wanting to talk to him for a long time and uh I put it out to our Patreon people that I was doing it, and our good friend Jason Pollack replied, thank you, Jason. And Jason is a deep, deep Jude Cole fan. And I couldn't have done as good an interview as I did with Jude without Jason's help, because Jason is the one who did a lot of that sleuthing before I could, or instead of me, about the singer in Italy that covered his song, and it's been viewed millions of times, and that young girl protege that he manages and Paul McCartney comes and sings on and working with Sarah Allen who writes with Daryl Hall and only Daryl Hall so how did they get involved so much of that was thanks to Jason and um, so thank you Jason for making that what it was I was really glad he would only give me 40-45 minutes and um, I'm a little concerned that he might be a trumper I think he's a like anti-mask anti-vax uh, it's all a hoax type, um, from what I've heard from uh, Facebook posts and stuff like that, which really, really, really bums me out. But whatever. In fact, I think that might be, Jason and I were talking about this, that might be why he and Kiefer aren't friends anymore. Because I'm pretty sure Kiefer is pro-mask and pro-vax. And that might be why their political affiliations may have been what has driven them apart. Unless uh, Kiefer's okay. a big Trump or two, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but that I mean, that was an an interesting episode. I thought he was he was he was pretty good to talk to. He was pretty good. I was a little nervous, so I purposely most of the time, not every year, but I purposely put out ones that I think might be a little more obscure or a little more niche on the, during the holidays, specifically the week of Thanksgiving and the last two weeks of December, because I figure everyone has a lot of other things going on. And so that's why I put that one out specifically the week of Thanksgiving, because I thought, well, I know a lot of people know Jude, but I don't know if there's enough people to really care about downloading the episode. And um, turned out I was right. There was, it was, it went, it was a little behind the regular average numbers, but it's since caught up. It's fine now, but I had a feeling that might happen. Um, yeah, I think everybody should download everyone. But well, of course. So do I do too. <laughs> I do too. That's what I mean. Honestly, that's something that I, that's been a goal that I've aspired to all along is I hope that we bring something interesting and valuable enough to listeners that even if they don't know the act, they'll give us a chance and they hopefully will get turned on to the person through the podcast. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I hear, we hear from people all the time where that happens and I'm grateful. I do understand the, 
the instinct to delete people you don't know. I do that too. I don't listen to every single Mark Maron podcast. I do listen to every single Gilbert Gottfried podcast. And I don't know why that, why that is, but I delete the people I don't know on Mark Maron. Um, but so I understand that doing that to us, but I hope we've, I think we've earned, uh, some credibility here that if it's somebody you don't know that you're probably still going to like it or hear some fun stories either way. Then I did a series of podcaster panels. These are, I'm going to probably do more of these. We started doing a couple of them back when I, uh, before I started my job at the beginning of COVID because everyone was just sitting around and I was unemployed and I had lots of free time since then it's been harder, but I, it's, uh, it's just my way of saying thanks and to reconnect with some of our podcasting friends throughout the year. And there are so many more, which I ran out of time. I'd love to bring on another, do more of these with even more people that I didn't even get around to. And sometimes a topic seems necessary and sometimes it doesn't. We just shoot the breeze. I really don't know what the appetite is out there from our listeners to hear a bunch of podcasters just talk and shoot the breeze about everything, but we might do more of them. Um, the download numbers for them started slow, but got better. So that's good. Almost every bonus episode is behind trails downloading why download numbers wise than the Tuesday episodes do. So I knew that that would be the case going in. And I like the idea of not hampering you with having to produce them. I just turn on the recording and whatever happens, happens. And then I turn it off and then I post it as soon as we're done talking. Because oh, I don't okay. want to put more work on your plate. Oh, that's it's fine. I know you say that, but I don't want to do that to you. I am. There's plenty of other stuff to worry about. I don't want you to have to, you know, pick through and cut out all the ums and uhs of these conversations with other podcasters. I just want them to be lean and mean and get them out there as fast as I can. And uh, it's interesting. The first one we did with uh, BJ, Brad, and Eric, <laughs> before I hit record, Eric Miller, and this has been kind of, I can't stop thinking about this, actually. It's kind of harsh in my mellow a little bit, even though Eric's one of my close friends. Uh, he was just, he was kind of laughing and it's true. Uh, we were all sort of laughing about how, like, do we have to record this? Can friends not just hop on zoom and reconnect and talk, catch up on their lives without it being turned into content for a podcast? Is that where we are today? Is that a guy thing? Is that a podcaster thing? Why don't the four of us just hop on a call and say, Hey, friend haven't seen you or heard from you for a while why do we have to turn it into content for a podcast and he's right i don't know it just seems like if us four friends who are also podcasters are going to have a conversation and catch up maybe other people would want to hear that too and uh so that's what i did but ever since then i started thinking boy is it dumb are we doing a is am, am have i am i minimizing my friendships that i'm just I'm turning everything into content instead of just letting these experiences be natural and meaningful for what they are. I don't know. I'm suddenly now worried that I'm, I don't know, I'm a, a shallow person or I'm content hungry or something. I don't know what it is, but it just, it's, it's eating away at my mind. Anyway, that's the deal. Well, I certainly think there's value, value to saying well, let's get together and make this one content or let's have just have a catch up or, you know, yeah. you know if, if there's one that you want to make content, put it out there that 
want to make this one content. Yeah. I mean, if it were, obviously I hang out with mall with my friends who aren't podcasters a lot. We don't record everything, but mm-hmm. when you're, when you hop on with three of your, well, in this case, what was it like 10 of your friends that are fellow podcasters? Like why not uh, record it and share it with people? Plus, and this is not so much the case with the first one because Rock around or roll and pods and sods and uh, I'm in love with that song. I think we all probably have a similar fan base, similar level of fan base. But especially the third one with the younger, I called it the rookies, the guys who are friends of ours who are just starting podcasts. I really want people to know that they're out there. You know, I want to help promote and put in a good word and support them when I can. Almost all of these people have had me on their podcast for similar reasons. And so I want to return the favor. That's just, this is the way that podcasters say thank you and hello and Merry Christmas to each other. It's this, I guess. It's a weird world we're in. Um, Okay. So after that was Pete Byrne of um, Naked Eyes. This is another one that, oh boy, I think I first emailed Pete Byrne five years ago, maybe. Um, His person, whose name I'm blanking all of a sudden, when he would reply, which was rarely, would he would reply? I would email like three times, and he would reply once every like twice a year, maybe. And he would say, "Oh, Pete's working on a new album. He's really close. Uh, he can't now, but let's look at doing it this spring or this fall or next month or next year or whatever." And I would just keep following his directions. And then he would keep screwing me around. And well, not still not a good time, but Pete says, we'll do it next month or we'll do it next spring or whatever. This went on for years. Steve Cooper and I would message each other every day. Did you hear from Pete today? Yeah, but he can't do it till next year. Yeah, same here. And we would just go back and forth comparing stories. Finally, and I realize now talking with Pete that it was because he was working on this album that he wasn't, he it took him years to finish. And then once it was out, he was ready to talk. And prior to that, it didn't seem worth it. And I, I mean, that's true for most people that I have on here. They would prefer to talk when they're promoting something than otherwise. And I just didn't quite understand that, I guess. But anyway, Pete also would only give me 45 minutes, but such, such a sweet man. And I want to say one thing about Pete, just to give you an idea. Pete Byrne became one of our Patreons, our Patreon. Patrons, mm-hmm. yeah. So I Do you saw believe that. that? Yeah. I don't know if he even still is, or if that was just a one-time donation. But he became a five-dollar a month patron. Is it? I mean, that is class. He didn't have to do that. Yeah, I saw that. It was. Th- I was surprised. Yeah, no guest has ever done that before. Not even close. And Pete Byrne, of all people, uh, signed up for our Patreon and became a five-dollar a month supporter i don't know if he still is maybe he just was that first month or whatever i don't look but um class just class all the way from pete Byrne. good for him were you familiar with naked eyes you had to be some of those hits always something there to remind me and promises promises they've never gone away yeah no they're, they're they're still around i love them those those that band is foundational to me as a kid um okay we're almost done here. Tony K from Yes. Uh, this was one that I was pretty jazzed about, as everyone I think knows. I'm a huge Yes in the 80s fan. I'm a casual Yes every other time fan, but I'm a huge Yes in the 80s fan. Uh, 
So when his people pitched me about having him on, I absolutely jumped at it. The album. Hey, well, how, he, oh, go ahead. How long did it? How long did it take you to say yes? As long as it takes to type yes on a keyboard. <laughs> so seconds. Yes, what? seconds. <laughs> That's it. Yes, exactly. And um, his solo album is really interesting. It's not something that I would play every day. End of Innocence, but it's um, when you're in the mood for some uh, very pretty uh, emotional instrumental music that's going to remind you about the horrors of 9-11 that's a good soundtrack to put on so yeah you're not going to play it every day but it's uh really interesting and unfortunately we did a great interview that got screwed up i think i've mentioned this before in the past sometimes whatever thing i app i use to record on skype a couple of times in the past has only recorded their side of the conversation not my side of the conversation. And I didn't know this till afterwards. So I run a test every time we do, I record somebody to make sure that my side of the conversation is recording. I ran the test before this one and it worked. The problem is his side of the recording didn't record this time. And I didn't know that while it was happening until afterwards. So afterwards, I just feel sick. There is no worse feeling in the world than you've just had this wonderful conversation with somebody that went so well and it's a rock star you love and it didn't record or something bad happened and you have to do it over again and you have to ask for that privilege and you have to try and recreate the magic and you have to try and sound spontaneous and like it's not planned and that's what we did and um luckily it was about a month and a half later so you know it wasn't immediately after but um it worked i thought, uh, I thought it turned out good well, of course, I mean, it did. The first interview, the first time we chatted, I thought was even better. I do want to bring him back on to do um, a big generator deep dive because I love that big generator album from Yes. I love 90125 more, but I feel like there's a big generator gets talked about less. So I'm going to bring him, I'm going to see if he'll come back on to do that. All right. Then was Brent, our good friend Brent Z- Zias. Brent and I have, Brent's kind of in the podcast community. I met him at the second Rock and Pod Expo. We hung out for like half a day. He is one of the nicest guys I know. And he'll text me whenever, talk about, he, he te- sends me a text with a picture of, we just had somebody on the podcast and he liked it. And he bought not just that album, but like everything they've ever done. And he'll sh- send me a picture. Your podcast sells music, and it's a picture of everything that's you know mid-year or whatever has ever done, and uh, it just means so much to me. And so when Brent told me about this music project of his, we both agreed that it's pretty niche. It's not going to be for everybody, and not everyone is going to want to listen or download the podcast. So let's keep it short so that it's an easy thing to digest. And hopefully it finds its audience. And I donated to the pledge, to the Kickstarter or pledge music, whatever it was, um, to support this project, which is a new album that he, it's got music on it. It's called Glass Jar. And uh, it's got a whole story, a comic book, toys, figure. It's this whole big concept. And um, 
I wanted to support his vision because he's one of my good friends and I love him a lot. And I thought it was a really ambitious project and let's see what we can do. So I donated some money and uh, I think a lot of other people did too, because they hit their, they hit the revenue they were hoping for and now they can move forward and hopefully it sees the light of day and gets bigger and better because Brent's a great guy. Um, were you going to say anything about that one? Oh, I thought, I actually thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. The video that accompanies it tells the whole story. Yes. I mean, it's super ambitious. Again, it's a story. It's music. There's an audio story. I can't remember. Like they tell the story in audio form. You can get that as a download with the music. There are toys. There's an album. There's a three gatefold picture that the toys and the story interact with. It's crazy, but it's so cool. Yeah, I can't think I've ever heard of anything else like that. That's what I was thinking too, Yan. Me neither. I can't think of anything quite that ambitious. It's pretty wild. <clears throat> okay, after that was Jerry Casale from Devo. I I love Devo. I've wanted having someone from Devo on forever. I had always hoped that it would be Mark Mothersbaugh, which is one of the reasons I should admit, I hate to admit that I never reached out to Jerry because I always thought, well, let's if I'm going to go for Devo, I want Mark. Which is interesting because I've heard Mark interviewed other places and he's fine, but Jerry is 10 times more interesting interview than Mark is. And uh, our friend, Mark, speaking of Mark, Mark Linsenmeyer from the Pretty Much Pop podcast, we were exchanging notes, as you podcasters do, about people we should have on, people he wanted that I have had and vice versa. And he said, you should really reach out to Jerry Casale because he's great. He's been on our show. So he did. He hooked me up with Jerry and it worked. And I'm really glad about that because it can be intimidating when you have super hyper intelligent people on the show because you want to be as you want to be able to meet them as an equal and not sound like a fool. And I, I'm not very smart in real life. And Jerry is super smart. And I was nervous that I would not be able to keep up. And luckily, I feel like we did. I feel like we had a really mutually intelligent conversation that meant a lot to me. And I'm really glad. Um, that one also, did, I don't think it made the top 10, but it got a lot of votes from people wanting, uh, saying that it was one of their better, favorite episodes of the year. And I agree. I liked it a lot, too. Are you a Devo fan? Uh, I've listened to some, but not that much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but I yeah. I'll, I'll listen to just about anything. Mm-hmm. That's what, uh, that's again, what I think, why this works for you and I, because we both have pretty broad musical tastes. Yours are probably even more broad than mine because you will listen to anything. And uh, that's why I it works that you and I work together on this because you can appreciate just about everybody we ever have on here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love it. it was, it's great. I mean, I, how much classical music do you listen to? Probably not anywhere near as much as me. No, no. No, that's your ex- area of expertise. Of course, I love classical music, but I never, I almost never put that on instead of a three-minute pop song. I always reach for the rock and pop. But, um, okay. Anyway, the last two, like I said, I sort of saved the two, um, two of the more obscure people that I talked to for the holidays. Um, Cause I just figure people are busy doing other things. And, um, if, if, I mean, I don't have to do it that way, but it just felt like the right thing to do this year. Colin Campsey 
so giant steps that song another lover i love that song back in the day and i have wanted to track him down or his partner george for the entire duration of this podcast because they were one of the initial inspirations you have this one song you put out one album you're never heard from again what do you do what is the rest of your life like and every now and then every few years um i'll start looking into him again and then I won't see him or I'll find him on Facebook and he won't accept my friend request or whatever. And I just move on. Well, it must have been a while since the last time I did that because when I started doing it again recently, I realized that he had worked with Phil Thornalley. And of course, Phil has been nothing but totally generous ever since he's been on the show. So I reached out to Phil and I said, do you know Colin Campsey? Are you still in touch with him? Phil says, you mean Campsey? He's still one of my closest friends. I play soccer or football with him like every weekend. Yes, I would love for you to talk to Colin Campsey. Let me put in a good word. And he immediately hooked us up and we talked. And um, and there was so, I mean, all that stuff with the quick, all that other dance music that he's done. And to have that life of writing so many songs for other people, not just Natalie and Brulia, but all these other people. Uh, Most of it is UK centric. I don't know that a lot of it ever made it over here, but good for him. He's built this long career in music when he himself is more of like an obscure one-hit wonder, but he's behind this kind of like Shelly Pikin that we had on mm-hmm. here or Martin Brammer that we had on here. These people who write just tons of songs for other people and their career is so widespread. He's one of those people and I never would have guessed. Had you heard of yeah, any mate. of that music before? Yes, actually. Yeah. yeah. I wondered. Yeah. Some of the stuff he's written for like Pixie Lot and some of those yeah. other hit songs that were hits in the UK that we would never know. I thought, I wonder if Yan knows these. Turns out you do. Yeah, Pix- Pixie's interesting. Really? Yeah. I don't know I've who she her. is. Oh, really? Oh, so yeah. it's, I mean, I've seen her on a, on a few bits and pieces. And she, she, she's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Really interesting guy there. And he was so nice. So great. Uh, and then lastly was Rocky Bo- Rocky Burnett. And this is another one. I did this interview, I think, the same week I did the Mike Thorne interview back in uh-huh. February or March. And um, it had been sitting around forever. And I knew uh, he was less I, – I had no problem with the Rocky interview. I thought he was super nice. Poor guy with his bad health and he's dying of emphysema. And cut two or three times in the interview, didn't he have to, like, cut, stop and, like, take a – get a shot or – put his uh air his oxygen mask on or remember there were like two or three different Mm -hmm. times in the interview we cut them all out obviously where he had to like take a breath take a rest health was getting bad on the call poor poor guy but a really interesting story and i love his music and uh a lot of it's so hard to find and i just thought i've got to hear this guy's story but again kind of like mike thorne i thought well I, i want people to hear this but i can't i it doesn't feel right to bump Major to bump Will Sargent or to bump Amy Ray or anything like that, Paula Cole for Rocky Burnett. So I just held on to it, put it out in the, during the holidays, made room for it then. Anyway, that's, I think, why it ended up being so short, is because he had yeah. a lot of health issues during the call. And, and anything that affects the lungs like that is just horrid. It's, yeah. Ugh, horrible. It is. And I mean, speaking of COVID and immunocompromised, I mean, he's got to be so careful 
he gets out, goes out there, and he catches COVID. He's done for. Poor guy. Um, so anyway, that's the last three months. Hopefully, there was some interesting tidbits in there. That's what goes on behind the scenes with some of these people. You and I are going to count down our top ten episodes of the year, and uh, there's a lot of crossover. Different yeah, positions. Do, yeah. Before we do that, though, this last quarter was when I started going back to gigs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask about that, too. Tell us about the concerts you've been to lately, because you had some good ones. And, unfortunately, two really good ones got moved because of COVID. Yep. Yep. So, I had, in September, I had Scritty Politi in Glasgow. Oh, man. <laughs> you, you, you probably keep getting asked about that one, don't you? I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yes, the majority of the time I'm the one who posts on our Facebook page, but you posted that one and I am dying of envy. You and everyone knows I would give anything to see Scritty Politi in concert. So everyone was asking me, John, how was the concert? I can't believe you got to see them. I was like, no, 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 no. It was Yan who posted that. Not me. Yan's <laughs> the guy who got to go to that concert. Oh, it was so good. Because that's... I, th- I think they said this tour is the first time they'd ever played that album in full on stage. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> and so it was, it was so good. And St. St. Luke's is a, it's actually a really good venue and it's really? just around the corner. It's literally not quite spitting distance, but you could almost throw a rock to the, to my other favorite venue, the Barrowland ballroom. It's that close to each other. They're they're just and wow. uh, so it was awesome. I went with Chris Slemp uh-huh. to that one, and then a couple uh, a few weeks later, I got in. I got invited to to go to see a band called the Cartoons, and I think I sent you some of their a couple of uh, videos from from their gig. So good. They, so good. Oh, they were excellent. Are they? I, th- I can't remember which which song I sent you, but the, they're actually putting some some new music out coming out shortly. They're they're mastering their new stuff at the moment. It's in it's in for for master. They had a, a a song on the on the set called "Friend Like You" that was really 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 good. That was awesome. That one was at Barrowland. So oh. this is a small this is a small band of a, a relatively young band. Uh-huh from a and a guy that I used to work with who's a who plays guitar and stuff his both two of his sons are in the band no and so he invited me to go along and it was it was one of the best 12 bucks I've ever 12 <laughs> I said not bucks it was 12 pounds about 12 pounds it was great that's great you know what I just then, realized oh finish your story and then I had, what did I have next? Right when my sister was coming for Christmas, I had scheduled the skids in big country. And that one had to get postponed because of the COVID numbers were just going gangbusters here that, yeah. in December. Yeah. And then a couple of days later was supposed to be Delamitri. Yeah. yeah. And that one had to get postponed as well. So, Skids has been uh, postponed. 
rescheduled to a couple of days before my birthday. So oh, nice on a, on a on a Friday night. So I'll be that'll be my birthday treat to myself. Excellent. With kids. Excellent. And then I have the I don't know when the the Delamitri one is rescheduled to yet. They're coming here, I think, in April or were. I need to get up to speed on who's still coming and who hasn't. I got a story about that that I'm going to tell here in just a few minutes. But um, hopefully, maybe the Del Mitri people will even put me on the list or I can say hi to Justin. I would love to see that. I completely forgot. Yan, I wanted to, I intended to kick off this whole recap with uh-huh. you talking about going to see Freddie for the 30th anniversary. Oh yeah, yeah. I completely spaced. Tell us about seeing being in uh, Switzerland. Right. So we knew this year was 30th anniversary of Freddie passing and I determined I was going no matter what. So I took a couple, I took a couple of days from work. Well, I took one day off. And so I, I went out there and on the Wednesday, the day of, I got up and I thought, right, I'll just, putter about for a while and then I'll get the train to to Montreux. If you ever get the chance to go and, and you're taking the train to Montreux, it goes along right down by the lake and it's just stunning. And then I get off in Montreux and walk down to the to the lakefront. And uh, sure enough there's a lot of stuff by the stat by the the statue. Okay. It's casino, so it's casino. It's in Casino Barriere now. Is where the old studio was, the old Mountain Studios. Uh huh. But along from that, there was the, the. So that's where they did a lot of the recordings. So the the people of Montreux, they had they had a really good relationship with Queen. And so when he died, the city paid for that statue because he was such an influence there, and so. There's that statue there that people have seen that I posted the photographs of. And then I went into the where the studios were, and I was expecting something a little bit more laid out like a studio. But in what it actually really turned out to be was some display cases with memorabilia. There were some where they had memorabilia with where they you know, handwritten lyrics and things like that from from when they were there. Uh-huh. It was there was a desk with like some a mixing fun, board. Yeah, like a yeah, basically the mixing desk yeah. with some of the with some sliders functional, but basically it was a representation of what the original board would have been like. So most of it was just stuff that was you know just looks like a a board, but isn't actually anything. But there was a few sliders on there that you could play around with, and it was fun. Good, good. Are you glad you um, went? Because you had been yeah. telling me for years that you were going to be in Montreux for the 30th anniversary, no question. Yeah. And you made it happen. Yeah. And yeah. I made it happen, and it was it was worth it. I got, you know, I, I spent a lot of time walking ar- along the lakefront that day and got some good photographs of yeah. the statue. And there was a lot of people there at night. Yeah, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, wouldn't you want to go during the day when you're going to get a good photograph? But there was people, I mean, even at night, there was a significant number of candles lit up and 
flowers are everywhere, just a ton of stuff. Yeah. And then the kids, the studio was, um, it's, it's worth seeing. Good. I mean, it's not what I expected, but it's still worth seeing. Good. And Good. normally along the Christmas, it, at this time of the years when the Christmas market is there. And so that day on the Christmas market, the music that was coming out overhead, the, there wasn't anything that wasn't Queen. It was all Queen. That sounds cool. Yeah, it was. It was good. Yeah. But yeah, going back to the going back to the concerts. We've. Uh, I'm. I'm going to drop a little bit of a hint at some of these concerts that we've that we've picked up some swag for. When we hit a million downloads, right. I'm not going to say which which ones <laughs> we've picked up from, but help us get to the million, and you'll yes. find out. That's right. We have, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Like I said, Bannerland Ballroom is has to be one of my favorite gig. I got to see that place. Place. I gotta and, see that, uh, so. that one, the the cartoons. Yeah, people should check them out. Okay. Oh, also, what they need to check out is uh, people need to check out the um, inst- the orchestral version of "Nothing Ever Ever Happens." Mm. I sent you the link to that. Yes, isn't that beautiful? Really good, beautiful. Yes, yes. It's on, I love that it's too. on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it's on YouTube, and it's the it's an instru- it's an orchestral version, and nothing ever happens. It is gorgeous. It is. It's beautiful. Good. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to make sure that we were going to do our own bonus episode of you talking about going to see the Freddie Mercury exhibit and everything. And then we didn't do it. So I want to make sure it got mentioned in here. Well, uh, I have a bunch of photographs from it. So I probably at some point I should post them and let people you posted see. some, I think I remember for sure. Um, yeah. maybe super fans will want more. Feel free to message us or Yan or whatever and ask for them. Okay. Let's count down our top 10 episodes of the year. We have a lot of crossover, but everything seems to be in sort of different places. Let's see. Why don't I go first and you close us out because yours, your number one leads to something else. So I think my first and foremost, there were lots to choose from this year. I'm pretty proud with everything we put out this year. I'm really happy with it. I think for number 10, I'm going to go with Jack Grisham, TSOL. The reason being is he's just a fantastic personality and i love punk rock i love people who live and breathe punk rock and can talk coherently about the history and the spirit of it all and jack is like that and um richard jobson from the skids can all also was just like that i love having deep philosophical conversations about punk rock with people so i was really happy with the jack grisham episode i wanted to, i'm that one's probably my number 10 what about you so i put uh this was this was so difficult there's so many i could have put in yeah that you know, you sit there and think oh oh no 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 i want that one oh no i want that one at uh so for my number 10 i put donnie iris good i thought that was just a fabulous conversation and hearing that you know hearing about his life now being able to do the things he's doing and you you think how's he doing that off of 
just this, but he's really had more, you know, more than just the few Two hits. Or three he's, hits. He's, yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's got solid, solid music. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it is such an interesting story. No one else has quite that same career. I loved it. Number nine for me, I think I'm going to go with Phil Brown. And the reason being, we had a really nice, long conversation. He's done so much. As everyone knows, I love talking about Robert Palmer, but I really love Talk Talk. And I tried to have a conversation about Talk Talk with a member of Talk Talk a couple of years ago, and it didn't go like I wanted it to. But being able to talk with Phil about Talk Talk and everything else he's worked on was such a joy because that's the kind of stuff that I deeply want to know. And his book, Are We Rolling Yet? Is that what it's called? Or Are We Rolling? Was so great. So much fun. And so um, I think anybody who loves music and loves behind the scenes stories would get off on the Phil Brown episode. I love that. Yeah, that was, it was a good one. Yeah. 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 My, so for my number nine, I've got Will Sargent and I could have put him anywhere in the, I mean, I, I probably could even put him in the well into the top five, but, but uh, that was just, you know, the opportunity to get him and get his view on stuff as opposed to somebody else. That was, that was priceless. I agree. I'm going to save my comments on that because he's going to appear on our list here in a little while. So yes, I agree with everything you said. Number eight for me was Justin Curry. The reason being, I don't, I judge often people, the, the quality of an episode on whether on its universality, do you have to be a fan of the band to appreciate the conversation we just had? And I don't know. I don't know if Justin Curry if that episode mean as, means as much to people who aren't fans. So I, so I'm, I'm reversing my logic on this because fans of Justin Curry and Delamitri of which people are hyper passionate about him and this band, those fans embrace the episode. And when that happens and thankfully it's happening right now, our DC Lee episode went viral and fans seem to be loving it. And I'm so grateful when the diehard, diehard fans approve of an episode that tells me that I gave them something they didn't already have. And that's what I shoot for. And so I don't know whether Justin Curry from Delamitri is super universal, but I feel like I had the conversation that I wanted and that his friends wanted. And for that, I am super happy about. So that was my number eight. Okay. For my number eight, I put, Paula Cole to get her on the show was just amazing. Yeah. I mean, we, I think we both enjoy having more, getting more women on the show. And yes. she had, you know, she was absolutely spot on. Yeah, she was. That one nearly, narrowly missed my top 10. I really loved her. I thought she was so lovely, such a lovely person. And as I, as you heard on there, I got choked up like two or three different times just talking about her and how beautiful I think a lot of her music is. And um, we just had a really heartfelt, honest conversation, really authentic. And I was so grateful for that. Uh, I love her. And um, yeah, I agree. That was a really great one. And you know, it's interesting, Ian, I think we only had 
five women on this year, which I'm just, I'm sick about. I want more, I want way more R&B artists on here. And that feels impossible sometimes, but I really want more women. And every episode we had this year with a woman came in really strongly in the listener poll and came in strongly on our list too. So I hope there's more because they, they were, it was, they were great this year. Yeah. Um, number seven for me, I'm going to go with Graham Parker. Uh, I love Graham. I um, have seen him live three times. I think it is two or three times. And um, he's just somebody, again, I say this a lot before going into these interviews, I want to have the kind of conversation that I want to have. And because when you dream of talking with one of your favorite artists for decades, you imagine the conversation going a certain way and that conversation went that way. And that's a huge relief. And I love Graham Parker. He was great. And uh, he was rascally and he was honest and he was funny and all the things you want someone to be. So I went with Graham Parker for number seven. Okay. For my number seven, I went with Tony Hadley. That was probably one of the most inter- interesting interviews I, I edited this year. He was, uh, he had a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. He really had a lot of stuff in there and it's fascinating. Yeah. I, he was another one that barely missed. I had so much fun talking with him. He was such a likable, funny guy. Also a Trumper, which I try not to think about, but he uh, was just so funny. And, you know, it's, it's a shame that Spano Ballet are so broken like they are. And I would love to know what's really going on there. But um, he was a class act, so funny, so engaging, funny stories. He seems like the kind of guy you'd love to hang out with because he was just uh-huh. so nice. And yeah, I love definitely, him. definitely. I agree. Um, number six for me was Tessa, Tessa Niles. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that because we're going to talk a lot more about Tessa later. So Okay. Okay. All right. So for my number six, I have Midge. And in, like you said earlier on, and when we were talking about his his episode, he really just comes across as a really happy, really kind guy. And he certainly did that in the interview. I agree. For yep. me. And, and his music is great. Yeah. You, just whether he's with Ultravox or whether it's his solo material, it's worth the listen and it's worth some of your money. It is. He's, he's a legend. I love him. Okay. Number five for me, I'm going to go with Tim Booth from James. That was, I felt like a period there where we, for a few months, we were just on a huge winning streak, getting really great, interesting people. And his, he is a trip. He, no one's brain works quite like him. His desire, his need to find this, you know, extra plane of existence or, layer of consciousness and whether it's through drugs or dancing or music or whatever spirituality meditation whatever it is that spiritual journey that he's on i just find people who talk about that as eloquently as he did so interesting and um he got choked up once or twice on our conversation which when that present pregnant pause happens and I'm looking at them on Zoom or whether I'm looking at not, even if I'm not, and you can tell they're emotional and they're taking a second to collect themselves. 
that's a huge deep feeling and so i and i love james and i i really loved uh that conversation with tim it went really well oh i i really wanted to put him in too and at the definitely one of the great conversations this year he's just their music is outstanding yeah you, you can't find much better than some of their stuff i agree it was interesting Stephen Haig told a story when I entered when I had him on that he wanted off the record about Tim that was actually a really cute sweet story but he was afraid that it made Tim look silly so we cut it out I'm not going to tell it here because that's not what Stephen wanted me to do but really interesting guy I liked him a lot so my number five is the Indigo Girls I thought that interview was it was great I mean, she they really are trailblazers trailblazers that's the word yes yep. that's it they really are trailbla- trailblazers and they they deserve every success that they yeah. have or will, will get yeah yeah i love them um that one didn't almost made my top 10 and uh it, that one just meant a lot to me and again thank you brian morris for <laughs> putting it upon yourself to schedule interviews for me without telling me ahead of time because it absolutely worked out in this case i'm really glad um i'm really proud of, and that was another one that the fan their fan community seemed to really embrace which when that happens that's the icing on the cake if they're happy i'm happy uh number four for me i'm going to put daniel lenoir which <clears throat> there's a very specific reason why i'm picking this one and you guys probably all know that moment when he played the song for us on the piano, I will never, I'm getting goosebumps. I might get emotional just thinking, talking about it now. It's one of the most incredible uh, experiences I've ever had in my life. I'm having this conversation with Daniel, who I've always admired. And I will say, I was war- he's another one where I was warned ahead of time, don't dwell too much on the past. He gets asked about it all the time. He's sick of talking about you two and everything. He really would rather p- focus on the present. And so I really wanted to gear the the interview toward the stuff he's working on and sprinkle in stuff from the past, like Robbie Robertson or U2 or Willie Nelson or Emily Harris, Emily Lou Harris or whatever. And I feel like there were, the balance was there. So it wasn't exactly the conversation I would want to have with Daniel Lanois. But when he's sitting there and we're on Zoom and he's sitting on a piano bench and he says, yeah, I'm working on new music right now that I'm really excited about. Would you like to hear it? And he turns around and it's this piano, this old rustic piano with the, it doesn't have a cover. It's a stand-up piano, upright piano, and the there's no cover on it. So you can see the hammers hitting the, the strings inside. And he plays the most beautiful thing you've ever heard. And it felt like he made it up on the spot for me. He probably didn't, but that's what it felt like in that moment. And what's interesting to me is whenever someone else, like Mark Marin, will have a songwriter on, his show and at the end he'll play a song and i always fast forward through that stuff because it's like well that's their experience and it's an acoustic version of a song i know i get it i don't need to hear it but when it's happening to you that's a whole different thing and so it wasn't you know it was a great conversation with daniel but that moment is the most unforgettable thing that's happened probably since i started the podcast yeah i have to say that that's one of the best things I've heard this year yeah. of that, that year. Cause we're now in 22. <laughs> That's true. That's true. 
Yeah. But yeah, that's that was my that was mind blowing that he did that. It was just phenomenal. And I really he's another one I would have loved to have put in my top ten. Yeah. One little other behind the scenes thing, uh Yan, when he did that solo, when he played that song on the piano, he hit a bum note. Just mm-hmm. one bum note. After it was over, his friend who was there in the room emailed me and said, Daniel hit a bum note. Do you mind? Would you mind sending us the file and we can, or did they edit it or did you edit? Did they tell you what note to cut out or did they cut it out for you? No, I, I edited it. You did. So he, he wrote back saying there's a note at this time stamp. Can you just cut out that one note? And, Mm -hmm. and you did. And that's what, so, I mean, it's not like it ruined anything, but just to let you in on what happens behind the scenes, Daniel Lanois wanted to fix one note in that little song that he played for us. And so he did. All right. Number four for you. Number four for me is Justin Curry. Yeah. If you love their music and I do that some of their some of their stuff is is great and i was i bought tickets for for going to see uh, going to see that i know my sisters like delamitri maybe they want to go and so i offered them the tickets and they were like, yes <laughs> and then it got and, and then it got uh, postponed so hopefully it'll get rescheduled to a time when they can they can go because that would be that would be awesome. Yeah. But that, you know, like I said, if you've not listened to it, go look up the in the orchestral. Nothing ever happens. Uh-huh. It's done with the one of the BBC orchestras, and it is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It is. And their new album, Fatal Mistakes, is wonderful. Um, yeah. In fact, there I should say there's a few people whose recent albums ended up on my personal top ten of the year. Daniel Lanois' Heavy Sun was on there. James's All the Colors of You. Ellen Foley's Fighting Words was on there. And Delamitri's Fatal Mistakes was on there. The Skids, Songs from a Deserted Ballroom or whatever that's called. That was one of my favorite albums of the year. Oh, Uh, isn't that great? I love that album. Oh, my gosh. Love it. So, yeah, all good stuff to check out. Number three for me, I'm going to go with Will Sargent. I'm proud of us. I'm proud we made that happen. It was an achievement. I can't believe that he, of all people, talked to us. And what's it, again, speaking of books, he never mentioned his book. And like a week after our episode came out, he announced that he was putting out a book. And I was like, why didn't you tell me about this? And he said, oh, I wasn't ready to go public with it then. So we, we made it in just under the wire because he did a lot more interviews to promote his book. But when that's the case, all those interviews need to be about the book. And this was a, this was a sincere conversation that didn't have anything. There was no agenda. There was no book to talk about. It was just me and my fandom and learning about him and the dynamic with him and Ian McCulloch and to learn that he's basically just a hired hand. He doesn't really have any say in the music. Doesn't, speak up or anything he gets it's just he's a paid employee basically of ian mcculloch at this time that is just nuts to me 
So I just, he is someone I never would have guessed we would have had on the show and it worked out and it was wonderful. It was great. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. And like I said earlier, I wish he's one of, I could have put anywhere in my top 10. Yeah. He was just so good. Yeah. So my number three is Jobson. Yeah. Yeah. I hear his music anytime I go to the, to the football games. Yeah. The Saints are Every coming, right? It's a, uh, into the valley is what, oh is sure sure plays, sure yes that's right what okay. plays every time they come out on the the players come out in the pitch i've been angling to see them for a while yeah and so i'm I'm finally going to do it i was just so jealous. Was, yeah it was it's a shame that they uh that they had to postpone but they've, they also had to postpone their uh acoustic but there was some of their music and especially that songs from haunted ballroom uh-huh. the weekend that came out i i bought it yeah and uh, i get on the work call on the monday morning and, and uh, one of the guys says everybody have a good weekend and i said yep <laughs> i spent the weekend listening to the skids new album he's like they've got a new album <laughs> yes <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, and Richard it, was so fun. Yeah. And that ballroom, so the the it's called Kinnaman, it's spelled with a K. Mm-hmm. It's well known music place from in Dunfermline for years and years and years. And then it became a nightclub and then it became something else. And then it it became back, it's called the the kinema again, but it's a glo- it was a it was a global fusion buffet, and then it there was a fire, and so right now it's nothing, but you can you can still walk past it and see kinema on it. And I took my dad in there a couple of years ago to the buffet, and he was he was, he was telling me stories about oh I saw this there and saw them, they were playing over here, and and then my Uncle Keith telling me story about being there at the 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 gig that Roger Daltrey reportedly so deserts. It's wild. At this, right you know, so it's a, it's an important piece of musical history in the yeah, in the town. Yeah, yeah, and so to to hear all the songs that were were important to them. Yeah. Was just at the you know, when they were when they were just getting going and young. That was great. Yeah, love it. Love that album. Me too. Me too. Uh, special thanks to our listener Andy Bolton. He sent me Richard's book, which I haven't had a chance to read yet. He also sent me Guy Pratt's book. I did read that one. And so which uh, one? Which one did he send you? He sent me Guy Pratt's book and Richard's book, and I think Richard's book is called Into the Valley. Okay, yeah. So uh, I have the Armory Show history one downstairs oh. to send to you. Ooh, oh yes, yes, yeah. I'm excited to read it, and I, I'm I'm bummed. Uh, Richard put me in touch with Alan McGee, who started Creation uh-huh. Records and discovered Oasis and Primal Scream. And uh, Alan and I emailed a few times, and he, we set up time to record three different times. And the first two times he changed, he canceled at the last second. And the third time, for whatever reason, I couldn't get the zoom to record. 
and he got frustrated and left and I've never heard from him since. So I kind of gave up on Alan McGee, but thanks anyway, Richard. Um, Okay. Number two for me is Ian McNabb. And uh, this one, I am surprised didn't have a bigger following on our listener top 10, because that to me is just what you want in a podcast is you want a guy like Ian telling funny stories, being honest, talking about the money, talking about the creative process, talking about the drugs, knows how to tell a story. He was just fantastic. He reminded me a lot of my, of miles hunt from the wonder stuff, which is one of our other best episodes. I just think if you're going to get an hour, hour and 10 minutes from your favorite artist, you want exactly what Ian McNabb gave us. And he did it. And so I was happy to spend 70 bucks or whatever it was to buy three of his CDs. That's one of my favorite episodes ever too. And he, he hand wrote the. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He mentioned in the interview that he hand writes the packaging. When you buy a CD from him, he writes the name and address on it and mails it to you. And people don't realize that. So they're throwing out their packaging. So when I got it, I held on to it and I posted a picture of it on Twitter and maybe on Facebook too. And a lot of people texted me like, dude, you just put your address out on Twitter. I'm like, I don't care. No one cares. No one's going to do anything with my address so far. No one's bombed the house or anything like that. But um, yeah, I held on. I still have the packaging in my nightstand because I want to keep that forever. Uh, The big, the bigger problem is not anything doing people doing stuff like that. It's more people using that to, falsely get themselves credit cards and stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah. 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 I wasn't worried about it. Maybe I should be, but I'm naive. I don't know. What about you? Number two. So number two for me, I actually put Alan Parsons. Yeah. That surprised me. Why so much? Why do you like that one so much? Oh, like the Alan Parsons project. There's, there's not much better that you can get. Yeah. His music is good. And then everybody knows that sports theme everybody has to know that that's just one of the one of the coolest things you could hear yeah one thing i i wish had happened a little differently about a week or two after that episode came out was when the beatles get back documentary dropped and alan is can be seen in the background in on that show a couple of times super young man and i think man i wish I had seen get back before talking with him. So I would have, I, I mean, I know don't ask about the Beatles, but come on, you're, you're in the hottest, you're featured. I can see you in the background of like one of the hottest pieces of media that's ever hit. Do you have any memories of the get back sessions? And what do you think of the show? I wish I had known that I would have asked it. And I actually enjoyed that. We, we talked about other stuff instead of the things that, Everybody asks them about. Yeah. The only thing, it still eats me alive. I saw a brief window of opportunity and I didn't pounce on it. When he was, he said, people ask me all the time if I get paid for that song serious at all the sporting events. And he says, I don't. He gave me a, a reason why. And at that moment, I wanted to ask, you do get a piece of dark side of the moon though, right? And I chickened out. And I wish that I had, I think in that, that may have sounded like an insensitive question, but I think in that moment I could have gotten away with asking it. And it was at the very end of our conversation anyway. And I wish I had, 
That's my one of my yeah. biggest regrets is that I didn't do that. I chickened out. He should get a piece for for. I would think so. I would think but, so. Uh, I mean, saying what I was going to say was he should have got, get a piece for Sirius. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he. Sh- I know, but I don't. I think it gets licensed out, and then it can yeah. be played anywhere, and he doesn't get a royalty every single time, which is unfortunate. He should. Yeah. Okay, number one, the best episode of the year for me was Susan Rogers because it was just delicious. I I already kind of phrased it earlier. I wanted more. I wanted to, I could have easily talked to talk to Susan Roger Rogers for hours and just asked every little piece of minutiae I could possibly think of. And she seemed like a nice enough lady that she would have she would have given me answers. I, that's that was, I mean. Ian McNabb is probably a more entertaining episode, but Susan was just the most delicious experience I've had. I don't know that Ian was more entertaining. I thought she was really entertaining. You know, like like I talked before when you know her being called in at yeah. ridiculous hours in the morning. He's up, yeah, and not sleeping, and so she's up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I know. I I just I thought she was great. That was. Uh, it was one of the best conversations I've ever had. Okay, cool. So my number one is Tessa Niles. That was just one of the one of the best interviews I listened I listened to this year. Yeah. And you know, just she just comes across as just the nicest person. And she basically sat there and let you go off on all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. We really did. Her book, Backtrack, is just like, and I listened to it rather than reading it. I'm glad I did because she does a lot of the voices and her voice is just so pleasant and nice, but she's so open and honest about what it's like out there and so full of wonderful stories. And you just think of all the things that she's seen and done in her life. I love that one too. And one thing, a little bit of, first of all, thank you to Dolette McDonald who shortly after Dolette's episode came out, she emailed me and she said, John, I think you should have my friend Tessa Niles on the show. And um, she put me in contact with Tessa. And I said, at whatever at that moment, I first of all, I wanted to read her book first, which I always try to do. And I had like a bunch of other shows going on at the time. And I said, I'll get back to you. And it took me almost a year. And in that time, she was on, our friend Noel Fogelman's podcast, Reliving My Youth. I don't think I listened to it on purpose because I didn't want it to influence my conversation. I finally, on that same flight to Hawaii, when I listened to Remain in Love, I listened to her story and um, it was so great. And so we made it happen right afterwards. I'm so glad. So thank you, Dolette. And then on my post about the DC Lee episode from this week, Tessa commented on it. That was so great. So that tells me that she listened to our DC Lee episode, which just blows my mind. That blows mm-hmm. my mind, you know? Anyway. And I was just taking a quick peek at our combined top tens. I think you said we probably had like five. Was it five? Or was it I think more? Just right about there. Well, between the two of us, all of them have made the top ten. Yeah. 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 There's a, and our listeners, so I'll get into the listeners top 10 right here real quick too. Uh, There's a lot of crossover there too. Although they did not pick some of the ones that I thought they would like Will Sargent didn't make it. Ian McNabb didn't make it. 
there were a lot of votes for to, yeah Heres- i know heresy heresy yeah there were a lot of votes for glenn tilbrook of squeeze but that one didn't end up making it all right so number 10 first of all just missing just barely missing the top 10 so coming in at 11 was a tie with dennis DeYoung and midger both of those were almost in my top 10. I love both those episodes too. Dennis was hilarious. So those just missed. Coming in at number 10, our listeners had Tony Hadley. Obviously, good pick. You are on board with that one. Number nine was Graham Parker. I, of course, love that one too. I love all of these. Number eight, surprisingly, was Kasim Sultan. I liked Kasim a lot too. He's just got some very devout fans and they really got behind that episode. It did really well. People seem to love it. So Kasim Sultan, kind of a surprising number eight. Number seven was Iva Davies, who was the last cut on my top 10. I almost had Iva on there. That conversation, that making that happen was a huge accomplishment for me. I love that show and I love Iva and I, uh, I cut it out because I want to give a little bit more love to Jack Risham and Phil, Phil Brown. Uh, number six, Justin Curry. Yeah, we agree on that one. Number five, John Waite. Another good one that, um, Ooh, yeah. yeah, yeah, love John. Good pick. Number four, Paula Cole. Yep, a lot of people love Paula Cole. Number three, okay, number three is Guy Pratt. Oh, wow. Yeah, that one got a lot of votes. In fact, I had to, so there were two ways of weighing it counted to get, So if people sent me a ranking and like, this was my number one, this is my favorite episode of the year. And this is my 10th favorite episode of the year. I would weigh it. So the number 10, their number one vote gets 10 and their number 10 vote gets one point. And then also how many different lists it ended up on. Got our number one episode of the year, I'll tell you in a second. Guy ended up on more people's top 10 lists than everybody except one other listener. Um, I love the Guy Pratt episode. I've talked before about my issues with it. The second time we talked, he got mad at me and um, told me that I had done shoddy research because I asked him to tell the Michael Jackson story. He felt like he'd already told enough. And it uh, just left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth because as much as I loved him and our conversation and I love listening to the rock on tours, it just felt to me a little bit like somebody wanting to show that how much cooler he is than me. And uh, I'm probably projecting. I don't think that that's actually where his mind was, but it just felt that way. Speaking of which the saucer full of secrets that he does with Nick Mason from Pink Floyd and Gary Kemp was coming through Denver next month. And um, I emailed Guy and said, hey, I wanted to come see your show. Can we can I say hello? And he replied. And I don't know if I'm reading into this or not. It says "Um, that got postponed. I don't know if the um is like, hey, idiot, uh, you had could have done your own research. And seeing that it had been postponed, or if he was like, oh, um, unfortunately, that got postponed. For whatever reason, I read it the first way. And uh, so I've just got it in my brain that Guy Pratt thinks I'm an idiot. 
so it kind of taints that one a little bit for me, but I, I did really like it. And his book is great. And his book is just an extant, expanded version of pretty much everything we talked about in our conversation. Uh, number two was Susan Rogers. She appeared on one less list than Guy, but she was ranked higher on the list that she was on than Guy was. So she comes in at number two and number one was Tessa Niles. More people had her as their favorite or on their top 10 list than anybody else. So yeah, good picks, everybody. You are on board with a lot of those picks, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Kasim Sultan one surprised me a little bit, but otherwise they're all people that would have been on our on or close to our lists as well. Okay. We're, we've already kept everybody a long time, but I did want to get to some of these questions because people, I love it when the listeners send in some questions and uh, there, these, a lot of these were really thoughtful. So I want to cover some of them. Our friend, Michael Bagford asks, have you gone into an episode with a game plan, but found out during it or right after, right before it, you had, you had to go in a different direction or with a different strategy uh, than you had planned. So that's a really interesting question. There's two, there's basically two things where that happens. Number one is somebody talks too much and somebody doesn't talk enough. And a, someone not talking enough, a good example of that is the Mike Thorne episode. I ask him a question. He gives me these very short answers that he's, because I don't know, he thinks well, I'm writing these down or he thinks he needs to do that for production purposes or whatever. I don't know but there was just no conversation happening. So I need to adjust what I'm going to do, meaning I've got to ask more questions. And that one was particularly hard. I was really kind of straining for things. That's come up before. Another one that was kind of like that was John Lever with the Chameleons. Uh, I love the Chameleons. They're one of my favorite bands ever. I tried to get the lead singer, Mark Burgess, on. He turned me down. He and John Lever had a falling out. G John, unfortunately, passed away. He's no longer with us. But the first thing he said on our conversation was, you can ask me anything you want. And then I started asking him some questions about the chameleons and what went on with the breakup. He said, um, that's all I'm going to say about that. So it was like, you can ask me anything, but then he kind of shut me down from asking anything. And I, that threw me off because I thought we were going to have a really deep conversation about the chameleons. And then unfortunately for him, his accent was so thick, I barely understood anything he said. And so that one, I just kind of cut short, which is what I usually do. The other issue is when people talk a lot. And most of the time, I will say when people talk a lot, they're sh they tell a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of gold in there. And I don't mind so much. Sometimes that's not the case. There's an episode. I'm not sure if this will be out before it comes out or not. But later this month in January is an interview I did with the producer, Jack Knife Lee. We talked for two and a half hours. And the first question I asked him ate up about 45 minutes. Oh. And uh, yeah. Now, having said that, it was really interesting. He was great. He was a really good guy. And it wasn't that bad. There was a lot of interesting insight in what he said. But when that's happening, we've been on the phone for 45 minutes. And I've gotten to one question. And I haven't even gotten to the stuff where I want to ask him about all the different people that he's produced and worked with, which is the fun part when you talk to a producer. And I'm suddenly thinking, oh, man, I'm I've got to reshuffle how I even am thinking about this interview because we're going to be here a while. So how long are we going to be here? And 
this is while the conversation is going, I'm mentally thinking to myself, okay, I really want to ask a follow-up question on what he just said, but if I do, there goes our next 20 minutes. And so I can either engage with him on this and eat up the next 20 minutes, getting deeper into what he's just, what he's talking about, or I can try and push it a different direction. And I can ask him about one of the bands he's produced that I really like and let that eat up the next 20 minutes. And so that's what, that's the mental gymnastics I have to go through when people talk too much. But I say that I'm not trying to taint the Jackknife Lee episode because it's really interesting. It's just a lot. It's a lot of talking. Uh, another one of our listeners, Sammy Khan. I love Sammy. Uh, he wrote, why haven't you had anyone on from PIL besides producers? It's a good question, Sammy. The reason is, number one, I have no interest in interviewing Johnny Rod or John Lydon because he just seems to me like an impossible interview. He's not going to answer your question. He's going to go off on tangents he wants. He's a weirdo. I love hearing stories about him. I love his music, but I don't necessarily want to talk to him because I think it's going to, it would just go sideways. So I have reached out to Jaw Wobble and I didn't hear back. And the only other one that I would really want to talk to, I think would be Martin Atkins, who is very prominent on Twitter. And um, I should reach out to him. I get some requests. You're, you being one of them, Sammy. But I haven't done it because I feel like he's really out there. He puts himself very out there on Twitter. And um, maybe that's enough. But maybe not. I don't know. This is good encouragement. I should do it. I'll, I'll see about getting someone else from PIL on there. Okay. Stephen Rev. Can you describe the interviewing process from tracking down and convincing a potential guest to setting up the interview over Skype to prepping, researching questions, to editing, and posting the show? Why don't you do your part first? Why don't you do the technical part first, Jan? Okay, so for the editing and posting, so I get all the files come in, usually we transfer, and then once I pull them down onto the into whichever machine I'm working on, which is usually the laptop, I convert them all to WAV. So the WAV, because that, that then allows me to go ahead and work on another uh, post it through through something else. So I have a converter that converts them from whatever f- file format they are. And then that then allows me to run them through a tool called Levelator. And if anybody's listened to it back early on, we had a guy where I, I no matter what I did, I couldn't get his, you know, I could I could max everything up, but I still couldn't get his uh, sound his audio up to the same level as yours. So the levelator, what that, that does allow, allow me to do is allow, it puts, allows me to put it through the, this tool and I've got a shot at getting them fairly even. And so then once that's, that's done, I then go take, take a look at the cues that you've sent me that you want. And I basically split the file up at those cue points. If, you know, I, I go through and I listen to it and I evaluate whether that's the right fit for a, for a cue point or if it needs to be adjusted or, and then, then I'll go start taking through the whole thing in one, in one piece and go take as much of the ums as coughs, whatever have you. And any bumps that that those edit points create a smooth out as best as possible. And then at that point, once all the music's inserted, it's it's ready for build into an MP3. 
So and then take all this stuff, build it back into an MP3, and then load it in and put the identifying information in for iTunes, and then it gets up, gets posted. How how long does that process take you usually? It depends on the on how bad the the, the audio quality is. And if it, if it's a bad one, it could be 10, 15 minutes prior of work. Uh, if it's a if it's decent, about thirty minutes per hour of work. So for twenty to twenty five minutes, roughly, uh, per per hour of work to to get a good quality uh, piece yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I um, I, ha- I keep a list. I have a list on my desk here where I'm sitting of people who are in various stages of scheduling. Like they said they would come on and I haven't heard from them since, or someone gave me their email and I need to follow up or whatever. I just kind of have a running mental list of all the people I think would be interesting to have on the show. And so I usually reach out to them. If they have a website, that's awesome. And there's a connect button or contact button on there. That's the best. And then I just email them on there or if they're on Facebook or whatever, um, Facebook used to be the best way to do it. I think a lot of people probably just get bombarded with idiots like me bugging them to come on their podcasts. So I track people down. Um, I will say uh, probably two thirds of the people I contact, I never hear back from. And of the third that's left, most of those I get yes. And occasionally I get a no, not, not, not super often, but maybe 10% of the People I reach out to, I get a flat out no. And so once they have agreed to come on, we schedule a time and it's usually a week from or two from whenever it is. And then I set about, I put it on myself to listen to as much of their music as I can. That's what informs most of the conversation to me because that's what allows me. And you guys will notice this, I think, is that if I can ask, I mean, yes, I also refer to Wikipedia and allmusic.com and their web pages. And sometimes I'll listen to previous interviews with them, but not always. And I usually only do that if I'm really desperate because I don't, I want to have my own authentic conversation with them. And um, I don't want to be influenced by what someone else has already done. And I've said this before, if I have a, if I have a question that I'm dying to know, and they've already answered it in another interview, then there goes a big chunk of what I want to talk about, you know? So if I, and I figure my thinking is I know a lot about music. I know a lot. I know more than 90% of the people on earth about music for better or worse. And so if I don't know the answer to this question, my guess is most of the people listening don't know the answer either. And so hopefully they're not going to be too annoyed to tell the story again, unless they're Guy Pratt. So I start keeping notes. I have a notebook here and I try to keep all my notes to one page so that you can't hear me shuffling all my pages all over the place. Just keeps me more organized. And I write down things that I, more triggers, not always like a complete questions, but a trigger word or a trigger idea, because I know I see that and I know where I want to go with it. And um, I try to keep interviews to about an hour. If they go more than that and they're fun, that's great. If they're bugging me, I cut them short usually, but I try to go at least 45 minutes then, you know, and then, so I listen back. 
I, you know, I have, I usually have anywhere from six to 18 interviews in the can already, depending on how busy I've been. And then I just schedule them. Well, I think I've had this one for the longest, so it needs to go out this Tuesday. I think anyone who may have discovered us because they, on that guest might like this other guest that I have in the can. So let's make, put them the following week. Fans of this person might appreciate this other one. So let's put that one out. This one is, I've been hanging on to a while, so let's go there. So that's, it's like putting a puzzle together. That's usually how it works. Oh, and I mentioned uh, these days, everybody is on Zoom. So pretty much everyone can click on a Zoom link and talk on Zoom. If they can't, we go to Skype. If they can't do that, I do the tape call thing that I mentioned earlier. That's why I mentioned it. Okay. Also from Steve, Stephen Rev, have you experienced, or can I expand on any of the below difficulties during an interview? Realizing you have a reserved guest, one with too many vague memories and or refuses to broach certain subjects. That's a deal. That does happen. Yes. Approaching sensitive topics, money, band breakup, issues, drugs, keeping a guest from talking too much or veering off subject. That's that's the hardest one. I just touched on it. Inadvertently upsetting a guest or realizing the personality is not as friendly as anticipated. Okay. The first one. If someone is too reserved, that does happen to me. You just have to work around it. I mean, <laughs> Alan, I'll think out. We've been talking about Alan Parsons, so I'll say that one again. That was one where I was really afraid that if I said the wrong thing or asked the wrong question or came off the wrong way, he would just end the conversation right then and there, not in a rude way, but like, okay, well, that was great. Let's go. I think we're running out of time. So I just tried to be engaging. I try to, I listen to all of their music. I was going to touch on this a minute ago. I listen to all of their music so that I can pull out a deep track or two. And that reminds me of someone, or when you wrote that, this sounds a lot like this other band, were you thinking of them? And when I do that, it sends a message to them that, wow, this guy's not just asking about the hits. He's listened to our albums. He knows this deep track. I'll tell him about it. So, and I know Yan's going to play it, and so you listeners aren't going to be lost. There's going to be context there for why I'm asking the question I'm asking. That's probably it. There aren't, well, I'll get to a difficult person here in a minute. The reserved guest, I will say the other one on that was the, the famous answer to that is when I had a session guitarist, Tim Pierce on here. Tim has played on thousands of sessions, literally thousands of songs. And when I would ask him for specifics, a lot of the time he didn't remember. And I don't know Guy Pratt, speaking of which, mentioned on our interview, well, that's probably just him being politically correct. And that could be. That could be the political way of saying, I, I know, but I'm not going to tell you, to just say I forgot. But that's what it was like. So we kept that one short and uh, put it out as a bonus because it didn't feel quite as definitive enough to make it a Tuesday episode. Well, um, I, think, I think with that one, they're, they're probably... As much as he's played on, there probably is an aspect of I've played on so much yeah. that I, I may not remember everything about that enough to give you a good good yeah. story. I took him at his word because on a lot of it because it is such an assembly line. I mean, he goes in, imagine this, you go into a studio and imagine you sit there for four or five hours and a producer asks you to play anything just to noodle on something, come up with something, some riff. And that producer 
might be working on five different albums and some piece of what you just played may end up on one song or another piece on another song, or he's just in there doing what the producer tells him. And turns out that was for five different sessions. He doesn't remember all of that. And I don't blame him. I get it. It's okay. I feel like I'm pretty good about sen- uh, approaching sensitive topics like money and band breaks up breakups and uh, drugs. I, I feel like that's one of the things I do really well, actually. I think that's why a lot of people like this podcast because I'm pretty good at touching on those things. The money issue, I mean, everyone knows I I approach it two ways. One, you guys always hear me say, we try to cover the money subject on here very sensitively. And that usually, and I usually say that after we've been talking for a little while and I feel like I've earned their trust. And I feel like they know that we've built a rapport. They like me. So I can ask that question. And I'm not going to ask them flat out, how much do you make? I'm going to be sensitive about it, but I'm going to ask enough where I think people get the idea. The other way is I'll do the what I just said. Okay, let's be honest here. You could live the rest of your life off of this song, couldn't you? And and I make it lighthearted and kind of fun and like, let's cut to the chase. And most times people think that's funny and laugh and get it. So those are there's two ways of doing it. You can do it very sensitively and very honorably, or you can just cut right to the chase and be like, come on, let's be honest here and make it kind of fun. That's my that's my approach. And that's my approach to the all of it. The band breakup, the drugs. I might say, like, look, I know I, I will tell you too, every time before the interview happens, I always say to them two things. Number one, this isn't live. So if I ask you something you don't want to talk about, tell me and we'll move along or we'll cut it out. And later on, if you regret having said something, tell me that too. We'll cut that out too. That's my standard thing at the beginning of every interview I ever do. And so, um, yeah, if I ask them about drugs or I know that's a his- that's a part of their history and that's already out there, then I feel like it's okay for me to ask about it. If it's not, and I hear them alluding to it in the conversation, I'll dive into it a little deeper. If not, I just don't touch on it. I figure most of these bands have done drugs. Most of them have dealt with breakups. Most of them have dealt with money. At this point, we can probably infer a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I'm sure for the for the listeners, it's it's fascinating and it's interesting stuff. I mean, let's let's take Martin our friend Martin Page. Yes. For example, you've got writing credit on Built the City. You built the city. You've got performance credit on on the Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, yep. Yeah. And he wrote These Dreams. He writes uh-huh. King of Wishful Thinking. And then he's got his own song. I see a lot of covers for In the House of Stone and Light on YouTube. Not professional covers, but people doing it. So it's, you know, it'd be interesting to know when he sits down and, and looks at all that, what's his, what's his best line item? We don't. We don't care how much it is, but no. which one? Yeah, which one does he does he do best from? And I ask that sometimes outright. Yeah. And a lot of them don't know because a lot of them, their accountants, those you know, those checks or whatever, go straight to their accountants, and they don't see them. They don't know what uh-huh. the highest line item is. But a lot of them, I, I'm not going to say who it is because I just did the interview this week and it went great. This person is primarily known for one song. And that song has provided a very good life for them. And um, they know it. And that's Chris Butler from The Waitresses writes Uh Christmas wrapping in 15 minutes. And it pays for the rest of his life. 
he makes enough money off of Christmas wrapping over the holidays that he pays all of his bills the rest of the year. I mean, it's like winning yeah. the lottery. Yeah, Christmas songs, uh, uh, songs that are out at Christmas. If they're, if they're good, they do really well, and they. Yeah. If you go look up the top, you know, top ten Christmas songs in the UK or something like that, you you'd be shocked at how much. Yeah, they make they they make bank. I believe it. Why do you think Naughty Holder doesn't have anything to do with Slate anymore? Because he doesn't wrote that to. song. He doesn't need to. He makes money off that. The other guys in Slade didn't write that song, so they still tour, and they're in their 70s, and he stays home and collects the checks. Okay, the third question from Stephen Rev is, without naming names or subject matter, what was the most difficult interview experience? I don't mind naming names because we ended up putting it out anyway. It was Richard Lloyd, right? About 20 minutes into my conversation with Richard Lloyd, he decided he didn't like me, and he said, I don't want to do this anymore, and he stopped. That bummed me out, but whatever. At this point, I'm. I see that more as his. I've had enough people on here who know Richard, and when I tell that story, they said, "Oh, that sounds just like Richard." So to me, yeah. that's his personality quirk, not my problem. You know. Yeah. Okay. For me, I would I would say some of the interview experience has to be one of the ones, the one that cut out and or it, it was oh. like it cut into a different conversation. Oh yeah. The Victor DiLorenzo from Violent Femmes and Hugh Gower from The Records. Those were two of, and this is strictly for technical reasons, not because of them. Those were two of the most jacked up files in history and you made them work. Yeah, those, that was, you sent and listened to through the thing. Oh, what am I going to do with this? I'm sure you probably get some, some that you feel like that from the interview side of it too. It's so difficult because you're trying to find this really natural rapport. And then when the technology is going out or the, and this is happening on zoom now, you know, the buffering or the it's unstable and you're missing piece of the conversation and it doesn't feel right to say, could you say that again? Because it's not in keeping with the flow of the natural conversation you're having, having, but you always manage to fix these things beautifully. But yeah, that, uh, those are two of the biggest stumbling blocks. The other one I, I should say is, was uh, Chris. Um, who did we put out with Richard Lloyd? Chris, what's his name? The DBs. Chris. Um, Stamey. Stamey. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I regret that one. I have a lot of regrets about that one. Because I know, I knew, I found out before getting ready to talk to him, I realized he and Richard were friends. And I got it in my head that the same, that I might have a similar experience. And so when I'm interviewing Chris and Chris is just kind of an awkward guy, um, didn't have any problem with me, but I would ask questions like, well, I don't know. I don't know what you mean, or I don't really see it that way. I'm getting a Richard Lloyd vibe from him. And so I say, look, I don't know. I can tell you, I don't think you like talking to me. If you want to quit, we can quit. And uh, he's like, no, what do you mean? I'm fine. I'm totally fine. And he was, and I left that anyway. I would probably do that whole thing differently now if I did it again. Okay. Scott Stevenson, as a relatively new listener, have you ever shared your top five to 10 most wanted guests? I'd love to know who you really like to talk to. This is probably the most common question that I get, but I love this question because I like putting it back out in the universe who these people are. 
And it, just in case anything were to ever happen, I wrote down a top five. I could probably expand them more, but Green Gart side from Scritti Perlitti is probably my number one. Nina Cherry is also up there. Anita Baker is also up there. And the thing that these three people have in common is they disappear for long stretches of time, decades. And I want to know where they go when they do that. How do you how do you get to put out something like Cupid and Psyche 85? How do you get to do something like Buffalo Stance? How do you get to do something like the Rapture album and a little bit of follow-up for the next couple of years and then disappear for 20 years? Where do you go? I want to know where you've been. That's why those people I want more than anything. And I love their music. Another one would be Bruce Hornsby. I find him interesting. Years ago, his people said, turned me down and they said he doesn't like to talk about the past, which doesn't surprise me at all. That's in keeping with him as an artist. But I would love to, I have a feeling if I talked to Bruce, I wouldn't have the conversation I would want to have with Bruce Hornsby. But if I could, that would be a dream. And similarly, my last pick would be Steve Winwood. He's another one where I just want to know what's really going on inside. I've heard that he's actually not that interesting a person, kind of boring, kind of normal, kind of regular. And that's, uh, so I might be disappointed, but I still want to know he's done so many things. I want to hear about it. Um, do you have any? Uh, looking at that list in the green guard side. Well, one of the, one of the band members posted on Twitter after the gig and my back made the gig made, made Twitter. Right. That's right. You show that picture. They show the crowd. And right at that second, you had turned around to look at something. So it's all these people cheering and then it's you, you're back. Yeah. I'm, Chris and I were headed to the merch table when they came out. We we'd turned around to head to the merch table. But if you, if you look at that uh-huh. and you go look at that post, you look at the post where that came from, there was a, small uh, i say a small lady uh there was a gal right about in the middle of that photograph she danced and sang the whole night and she sang to everything and they loved her they absolutely loved her because she made them feel comfortable yeah yeah and they have like some stage performance thing going on where they you know they're a little bit hesitant i believe it Yeah. yeah yeah And it just made it put them at ease. That's great. It it was an amazing gig. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, Green Gartside doesn't do hardly any interviews. His people told me years ago maybe he'd do it if he had something to promote. And every time I hear about something like a re release or a tour or whatever, I contact his people and I've never heard back from them again. Another one I should say is either of the Tears for Fears guys. I love those guys. And I know they're back on the rounds right now getting ready for this new album but i don't know how to penetrate i've tried a few people i never hear back i don't think it'll ever happen i will say to anyone who's listening if you want to be your own brian morris if you know how to get these people on the show with me then please go ahead and do it and i will if it works out of course i'll do it let's let's crowdsource this let's see if our listeners can help out um and again thank you brian yes thank you brian do you know, in fact, uh, Brian comes up here again here in a second. Do you have any dream interviews? Is there someone I still need to get that I haven't gotten for you? I know Matthew Sweet was on there, and I've tried him a couple yeah. times in your back, and he's done Friends of Ours podcast, so I think it's possible. I just need to try again. He would be awesome. I know. I love Matthew Sweet. Yeah, he would be awesome. 
any anybody you get, I'm going to enjoy. Yeah, you're easy going that way. I love it. Um, in fact, let me just skip to Brian Morris's questions. Have you considered a video version? Oh boy, this is the hot, hot topic right now. Have you considered a video version of the podcast for YouTube? Yes. Like every day I think about this. He says, would be fun to watch some of the interviews or maybe post select clips from each interview. So we talked about this years ago, didn't we? Probably four or five years ago, you and I were talking about how do we get our interviews? We could just put them up on, on YouTube. And, um, there was some, I tried to do it once and there was some, I had to do something where I recon, I converted the file from what it was to something else. And I didn't know how to do that. And then I got really hung up on, well, if we're going to put these on YouTube, I wish we could really truly produce them, you know, so that like, if we're talking about a song, maybe a clip from the video could be edited in or clips from shows or album covers are showing are popping up on the screen during at the right time of the interview. And that's just a ton of work. And this already is like a second job for both of us. Mm-hmm. And so somebody, I feel like, uh, yes, I would love our show to be on YouTube. I would love it. Even if it's barest form, just somebody put the file on there with like a hustle logo. But honestly, I don't, you and I don't have the bandwidth to do that. Someone else would need to. And I hear this, I get asked this question all the time. And I get asked more and more recently, my good friend, Scott, he's got a YouTube channel and he loves it. He's got thousands of listeners or watchers or whatever. He's always telling me I need to do it. And it's like, yeah, well, I have a full-time job. This is almost a full-time job or at least a part-time job. I got three kids. I got a life. I got COVID. There's only so much I can do, you know? Anyway, what do you think about that? It could be done. It's going to be a lot to produce. It would be a lot of work. It would probably be even more work than doing the audio production. You yeah. just be able to get the right splice so it doesn't pit and jerk and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I do think there's probably, we could probably if, figure out a way to just throw the file as is. So there's no visual. You're just what you're, it's playing for an hour and there's just our logo on there, but that's kind of boring. But I mean, maybe that would satisfy certain people. I don't know, but yeah, I know guys, I know there's people out there, YouTube personalities out there. There's Rick Beato. There's people who are counting down albums and stuff like that. I would love to be one of those people. That's a whole different job, a whole different game that you and I don't have time for. (laughs) Who are my top five remaining dream interviews? I just mentioned who they were his personal interviews which are our topper hit Heaton from the, from the clash. Brian and I have gone round and round and round for years trying to track down topper. I've never been able to do it. I've asked him to do it. He hasn't been able to do it. If anyone out there knows how to contact topper, let me know. Neil Finn is another, I've tried Neil Finn many times. I always get turned down. I love him so much. I don't know that. I don't know if I could do a very good interview with him. I'm a little nervous about it. Mark Kelly from Marillion. I am working on Marillion, by the way. In fact, if anyone wants to know, Mick Wall is a pretty well-known British music writer. He's got his own podcast now. He is an upcoming guest on our show. He's written books and talks about Marillion a lot on his podcast. So if you want Marillion information, go look up the Mick Wall podcast. Getty Lee from Rush. Yeah, of course. Who wouldn't want to talk to Getty Lee? 
and then Mary Fall from October Project. I need to get her on. When I originally thought of her, she was doing a lot of other things. And as I said earlier, that's when I kind of lose interest. But I haven't heard her on anything for a while. She and I interacted on Facebook once a long time ago. And um, I, it's probably time for me to reach out to Mary Fall, especially since I'm trying to get more women. So that's a good one. And then um, are there any memorable stories that happened before or after a hustle interview that didn't make it to the actual broadcast? I can't think of anything that we haven't already shared. Can you, Yan? I mean, there's things like Terrence Trent Darby or Sananda Matreya who wanted to edit his episode or his people did anyway, and sent us going back and forth for a week or two, sending files to each other. Um, there's that. There's the Guy Pratt thing that I just mentioned. There's certain sometimes the episode will come out and somebody will say, Ooh, I didn't realize that was in there. Can you cut that out? And you'll go back in and make a cut and then just repost the episode. Other than that, can you think of anything that was like, didn't make it to the final broadcast? Cause I can't. No, not off the top of my head, no. but I'm sure. I'm sure there might be stuff that we, might be. That, we cut out, that we, that we cut out. Yeah, I mean, anything that gets cut out, it gets cut out because they asked us to, you know? Uh -huh. you know? Um, um, yeah, we've had a couple where we cut it out because we didn't think it was going anywhere, but yeah, that's listen, true. listening to it, it would have been okay. Yeah, that's the only other thing. Yeah. Sometimes I'll ask a question and there's not a good answer. That happens a lot with like the producer episodes that come out. If I ask them about an album I like and they don't remember or there's really nothing to say about it. We'll cut it out if it doesn't go anywhere interesting. Okay. The last question is from Dave Meyer. Uh, Dave says, how did you initially get this podcast off the ground? How does a guy in Colorado get noteworthy musicians to commit to an hour plus interview with no track record, no listeners, and no connections to the industry? Just curious. That is the golden question right there, Dave. So I think I've told this before. I'll tell it really quickly. Years ago, for years, I was just obsessed with how do people pay their bills over the long haul? If you've made a, if you had one hit back in the eighties, what do you do today? And I felt like I would hear people on other shows, like, um, where are they now or other podcasts or whatever. And they're always promoting their newest thing. And it's someone who's been gone for a while. And that's great that they have a new thing, but I feel like that gap between their last thing and the new thing doesn't get touched on. What happens in that gap when we don't hear from you for 20 years? What's going on there? That's the part I want to know, especially if you're sort of obscure or lesser known. And I went round and round thinking about maybe I'd write a book about this topic, but then I thought there'd be no end to the book because I'd want to hear everybody's story. Maybe I'd start a blog. Those were still a thing back eight years ago or whatever it was. And, um, Maybe I'll see if anyone, I could send out a form, like a questionnaire, five questions to ask everybody. And I put the answers on the blog. I even paid for a URL once, I remember, and it didn't go anywhere. And then um, I had the idea for a podcast and my friend, Jason Brickerhoff, who died in 2020 of brain cancer, he and I were at spring training in Arizona one year. And he said, you know, you've been talking about this kind of stuff for years and you never do anything. When are you going to actually do it? I'm sure there are people out there that would help you. And I've made all these same exact same excuses that Dave just said. I live in Colorado. No one comes through Colorado. Well, who says they have to be there in person? 
well, I don't know how to edit any of this stuff. I'm not technical. It gives me anxiety. I'm sure you could find somebody that could do some basic audio engineering for you. It's probably not that hard. Every barrier I would put up, he would tear down. At the time I had a job where I had a, my job, I still do, you know, when you're in sales or whatever, your job sometimes will give you a conference line so that you can have conference calls with your customers from all over the world. And um, I noticed that the one I had, had a re- at that point, had a recording function. And I thought, well, if I can record a call with my customers from all over the world, why couldn't I record a conversation with a rock star? And if I download the file, if I can record it and I download the file, well, there's something we can work off of. So I, and initially this was easier because originally the concept of the podcast was to talk to really obscure artists. So when I had the idea one night, it was March something or other of uh, 2014, no, 2015, and I couldn't sleep, and I had this idea, and I got on Facebook, and I messaged nine, nine times, nine artists that I really liked that I thought might talk to me, and I said the same thing. I'm thinking of starting a podcast. This is the focus of it. Would you be willing to talk to me? And the next morning when I got up, I had four replies saying yes. I had one saying no, and the other four I never heard back from. I thought, well, I, there's four people willing to talk. So I just did it. I just recorded a conversation and turned out I was pretty good at it. And I've it's been growing ever since. So that's the, that's the origin. And at first my high school friend, Aaron Syret was the producer. And after about 18 episodes, he got a job that required him to work really long hours and he couldn't do it anymore. And I thought, well, who would want to do this with me? And uh, would might think it was fun. And I thought immediately thought of Yan because he's such a techie. I know he likes tech. I know he likes music. And I know he's an easygoing guy. And I thought, well, maybe Yan would think this was fun. And turns out I was right. So, and we've been at it ever since. Yeah, it's right? been a blast. Yeah. Yes, it is a blast. Yeah. It's been a blast. Yes. So um, that's the deal. Okay, well, that's everything. Boy, we've been going for a while. Um, anything else that we may have missed? Anything else you want to talk about, Jan? No, I can't think. But, you know, if people want to go look up Delamitri, if people want to go look up the cartoons, if people want to, want to go look up the skids or, some, or something like that, the songs from A Haunted Ballroom, go for it. You, yeah. you, you're going to get some great music. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Well, thanks for doing this again with me, buddy. Um, I, w- I will say, I don't do we, I, um, I, I guess we'll continue to do these. I felt, I feel like our numbers have gotten bigger, but the actual engagement, like I got, there were fewer people who replied to vote on like their favorite episodes of the year and um, stuff this year than in previous years. Maybe wonder if People don't want to engage that deeply. I mean, they're pretty active on our Facebook page. I've been lucky there. You guys are great. I've, I try, I'm not very good at putting myself out there and I really get sick to death of social media sometimes, but I want, I'm trying to build a community and I want to hear from all of you and I want to get your opinions and I want to throw stuff out there and have you reply. And luckily we got a pretty good community out there on Facebook. Don't you think? There's a lot of yeah, people. I think who, so. Yeah. And I'm yeah. grateful for all of you guys. So maybe I'm overthinking it, but. I, th- I hope there's still an appetite for these kinds of recap episodes. We like doing them, but we don't have to do them if no one wants them. I don't know. Uh, anyway. All right. 
I always try to close these out with some music made by someone who listens to the podcast that's available. One of our listeners, Andrew White, has a band called Diamond Field. They put out a self-titled album last year, and it's one of my favorite albums of the year. It was in my top 10 list that I put out, sent out in our Christmas newsletter that we do every year. It's very much the 80s synth pop sound that I love. And any, I'm guessing the majority, majority of the people who listen to this podcast, I assume we have similar tastes in music. And if you like that sort of 80s synth pop sound too, sounds like Go West or OMD or whatever, then you're going to like Diamond Field. There's a really interesting kind of thing going on right now where there's a lot of bands making retro sounding 80s music with heavy synthesizers and stuff like that that sounds really retro. I love what I think it's, I can't, maybe it's called Synthwave. I don't remember. Whatever it is, I really love what's going on. And I would put Diamond Field kind of in that area. My favorite song on the album is called Bring Back Love. This song to me sounds a little bit like something that might have come out of Minneapolis, like The Time or Prince or janet jackson's control something like jimmy jam and terry lewis this reminds me a little bit of that human leagues crash album so uh not every song on there sounds like this song but this song to me reminds me of minneapolis so i want to play it for you all right bring back love by diamond field thanks yan
Just show me how to fix it so that we can bring back love. We can change the story. 